Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Welcome to Love Me Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoopspears, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, and we've got a tremendous podcast for you guys. We're going to be joined in segment number two by one of our good friends, Rocco Miller, who does great work over at Bracketeer.org, a man that plays a heavy hand in terms of all the scheduling that we see in college basketball, a guy that does just so much amazing work, so... I always enjoy having him aboard. We're going to be talking about a little bit of everything. Some of the multi-team events that we've seen, some of the teams that have been surprises at the beginning part of the season, what we have all seen to the good in college basketball, and what we can expect moving forward as well from a lot of these tournaments, and what team might be dealing with a few distractions that gets going on Tuesday as well. So we're going to be talking about that in segment number two. In the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to throw those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM. Maybe does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline, and the other way, that is find an Apple Podcast review. If you're at this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. I did not get in any Twitter questions today, but we had a very fascinating day of college basketball on Monday. So let's take a look back at it, try to find some trends in, try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. I have to do this as some of these games are still going final, so there is going to be a few games I might not have a preview for, especially the late Maui Invitational games because, well, unfortunately, the last game of the Maui Invitational is supposed to start at 8.30 and it's probably going to start even later, so we're just not going to have teams that are going to be listed by the time I have to get this up, but that said, what we did see was Utah and my DK Nation pick just have a horrible time of it. This was a bad goaltend call that probably costed this one, and for Utah, they were up by a count of 21-4, to and then they win by a count of 68-64 to to not cover 4.5. I am a little bit salty about this one, but big takeaway here. Utah lost a turnover battle 19-5 to as Georgia Tech, they went just 5-23 from three-point range. This is a Utah team I'm actually feeling a little bit more bullish about, or at least I was going into this game, but Utah's turnover issues, that's a bit of a problem. Georgia Tech, I do firmly believe that they're going to be one of the worst teams in the ACC. I'm actually not having them at dead last anymore, though, and the big reason why, another big giant stinker from Louisville. This was out in Maui. 80-54, to Louisville gets drubbed. 
Louisville, 22 turnovers to 16 made field goals. Ellis did all that he could. He had 11 points, but he also had 7 turnovers in this game. Arkansas looked a little bit sloppy as well. They had their 16 turnovers, but how about 26 points and 6 rebounds from Anthony Black? Still no Nick Smith in the fold currently for Arkansas, but... That was a very loud win for them, and they made a statement on that. How about Nevada taking down Tulane by kind of 75-66? to 66. This was from the Cayman Islands as for Tulane. They just weren't able to throw the ball in the basket. They went 728 from 3 far inch in Nevada. Looks to be a little bit of an improved defensive pl- team, and you had Jared Lucas going to takeover mode. 22 points, 6 boards, 3 assists. Keenan Blackshear, double-double, 11 points, 10 boards, and also had 5 assists in this game as well. For Nevada, 16 turnovers, a little bit troubling to the two-lane turnover margin of 8, but that said, other than Jalen Forbes, he didn't have a lot in this one. 24 points for Forbes, and this is a team that is dealing with Jalen Cook, currently being out of the fold as well. So that has been really hurting this two-lane team as they look to be able to try to put themselves in a spot to get to the NCAA tournament. Big standout to me is also that Wyoming might be dealing with an injury to Hunter Maldonado. 59-48, Wyoming takes the loss against Boston College. Your third loss already, but Hunter Maldonado, he hit his head on the floor after playing about 11 minutes, did not return to the game. He was evaluated for a head injury. I do not know the full extent as I do this. I'm sure that that'll come out within the next 24 to 48 hours, but if they have to play without him because they're already without Graham E.K., most likely until conference play, devastating for a Wyoming team that was really looking to build off of the NCAA tournament run that they made last season for Wyoming. They did not do a great job on the glass in this one, losing that battle 29-27. And for Boston College, 16 points out of Wacky Zacky as Jaden Zachary was able to lift that team to victory. You did see Belmont take it to Howard 96-73 as for Belmont. They did a very solid job going 11-23 from three-point range. And a Belmont team has always been relatively efficient on offense. Here right now, if Ben Shepard running the, the show, 27 points. Four assists in this game, and for our, they did go 8 of 20 from three point range. Elijah Hawkins, 15 points, five assists, three turnovers. Not a bad showing there, but for Howard, not a lick of defense played by them. Creighton on Maui was able to do a good job of separating late. 76-65 the final for Creighton. They were having a tough time taking care of the ball in the first half as they had like 11 turnovers in the first 22 minutes of the game. They calmed down from there and Baylor Shireman had a double-double. 11 points, 12 rebounds. Not your father's Creighton team. They went 9-20 from three-point range, but they're not as good of a three-point shooting team as we've seen in the past. And for Texas Tech, it was Pop Isaacs that really kept them in this game. He went 4-5 from three-point range, 13 points. Daniel Bacho down low was able to give you 17 points, but just four points off the bench for Texas Tech. A little bit of an issue for this team that typically they rely a tad bit more on depth. We saw San Francisco get steamed up in a lot of betting markets, and they get the win, but they don't get the cover against Northern Iowa. This was a 75-69 final as there was at one point Northern Iowa leading by double figures, and they weren't able to hold on in this one just because Northern Iowa, they really don't have a lot coming in off the bench as they got a grand total of four points off their bench. Meanwhile, for San Francisco, they were able to have a whopping 25 points off the bench, including a double-double out of Zane Meeks, 12 points, 11 rebounds. As for San Francisco, Khalil Shabazz, he was the big Shabazz. 24 points, 7 assists, 5 rebounds. A little bit of a body clock game for them, but they're able to stay undefeated. Didn't necessarily do the greatest job on glass, but still won the battle 37-35. to And for Northern Iowa, they're right now looking at Tayton Anderson. Was able to give the team 14 points and rebounds to really lend some versatility. Austin P was the top under team in all of college basketball last season. Played a little bit of an uncharacteristic over, but they get it done against Albany 74 to 59. They're a team to watch out for. And Brian 
Apparently, they're slowing down for nobody. 98-88, to 88, they took down Detroit. They went 16-31 of 31 from three-point range, and Detroit went 15-24 of 24 from three. Antoine Davis, 29 points, 5 assists, and then he had 24 big ones out of Jane and Stone for Detroit. But how about what you were able to get out of Doug Eater, who was able to put in their 23 points for Bryant. All five of their starters were able to score at least 13 points in this game, so I was able to power them to victory. Illinois State was a rather up-tempo team last season. They're having their struggles on offense. Game goes over, but that's just because LSU was able to pound them. 77-61, the final for Illinois State. You did have 17 points, 6 rebounds out of Darius Burford, but it's not been a good-looking team to this point. 19 turnovers now. LSU had 18, but K.J. Williams, 33 points, 8 rebounds, 3 assists. He has been a man on a mission for this team. We saw out there in the great state of New York, Syracuse get it done in overtime. They take down Richmond by a count of 74 to 71. If you were able to get north of three and a half with Richmond, you were able to get there. Talking about taking Richmond with the points, but not necessarily outright in this game. And that old true as you did have for Richmond a good three-point shooting performance out of Jason Nelson. He went four of six from distance, 14 points, six assists, and I mean, Tyler Burton, 13 points, 15 rebounds. He did his part, but he also went three of eight at the free throw line. That ultimately costed Richmond because some of those free throws came late. They would have probably avoided overtime if he would have made an extra free throw or two. And Joe Girard, 31 points. He goes four of 11 from three-point range. Syracuse loses the rebound battle 45-27, to but they won the turnover battle by kind of 18-6. to that led to them winning this game. A much-needed win for Florida State. They take down Mercer by a count of 81-72. to Mercer goes center 25 from three-point range, as you did have 15 points out of Kamar Robertson. But for Florida State, much-needed win. They had started 0-4 with losses to Central Florida, Stetson, Troy, and Florida. Obviously, the Florida and the Central Florida losses Quite a bit more understandable, but that's it for Florida State. Dealing with a lot of injuries. They were able to get Naheem McLeod back in the fold. He's been a little bit banged up at seven foot four. Him coming back in the game, that is big. But you did have Cameron Fletcher really have a nice game. 23 points, six boards. Florida State goes 7-15 from three-point range. Looks like they're looking to play a little bit more up-tempo, and they were much more in line. Seven turnovers in this game in total. And for McLeod, having him back is big because he was dealing with an injury. Five blocks, nine rebounds. Not necessarily a ton of points at eight, but him just being that eraser down low, that is going to be massive for this team. Moving forward, Louisiana Tech, they look to be back to their winning rate ways as they win 79-58 to over Louisiana Monroe. Monroe goes 11-27 from three-point range, but despite forcing 20 turnovers, they lost a rebound battle 42-25. to That ultimately doomed them as Louisiana Tech had three different players coming off the bench, score double figures, and for Clemson. How about a 72-41 drubbing of Loyola of Maryland, Loyola Maryland, team that's in a little bit of transition as they're missing the Elich brothers right now, but that said, they just could not get anything going. They had 15 million buckets, they had 18 turnovers, and for Clemson, just the fact that they've got P.J. Hall in the fold, didn't play a lot of minutes, then has been able to help them out as Hunter Tyson, 14 points, 9 rebounds in this game. Doing this as a few games are currently raging on. Duke is right now just taking it to Bellarmine. They're up by a count of 15 points towards the back half of the first half. We shall see what happens there. I was just boat racing Omaha as I do this. They're currently up 27 points. We shall see if they're able to cash that over on right around 158, 159. They're currently on pace for it, but barely on pace for it. So we shall see there. And currently Georgia's just can 
handling St. Joe's. St. Joe's in the first 16 minutes of their game against Georgia, 13 points. Looks like it's going to be another long year for St. Joe's, who is looking much more like average Joe's. And if you're looking at all that we've gotten in college basketball this season, you've been noticing quite a few unders recently. Overs actually began the season quite well, but ever since we started to get these neutral court games over the last seven days, we have seen the unders really kick up. Over the last seven days, according to coverage, this is with a few games for Monday pending, 189 unders to 147 overs. So 56% of games going under the total with overtime games, certainly helping out those overs a little bit. So if you have a game in regulation, it's about 58% to go under. And in this time span, home underdogs in the last seven days, 52, 37, and two against the spread. That's going to be a trend that we utilize a little bit less for this week just because there's a lot of neutral court games. But that said, underdogs overall over the last seven days, 185, 147, and 7, so hitting at north of 55%. Overall for the season, underdogs more around 52%. Favorites actually had a very good run to start the season, but overall, 361, 329, and 10 against the spread are underdogs, and overall for the season, unders hitting at about 52%. So that's what we're seeing in college basketball right now, and that's what we got on Monday. Now let's talk to our friend Rocco Miller. We're going to get a little bit more reaction as to what we've seen here in the first two weeks of the college basketball season, and some of the big marquee events to take note of for Tuesday. That is up next right here on Coast Coast Eeps with myself, Greg Eeps Peters, and now a part of the Decent Family Podcast. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, 
John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. And now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, it is great to be joined by our guest. As it is a bracketeer himself. It is Rocco Miller. He does a great job over at bracketeer.org taking a look at the great game of college basketball. And the game is made all the more great by all that we're seeing right now with these just absolutely tremendous tournaments. Rocco does a great job in terms of scheduling in the offseason, helping make a lot of this happen, helping set up some of these prime matchups that we're going to be seeing here this week, a few from last weekend, a few more moving forward as well. And to be able to follow Rocco on Twitter, that is at Rocco Miller and then the number eight altogether. And Rocco, it's great to have you aboard. Thank you. Greg, thanks again for having me. I hope you're doing well. I am doing great. And it has been a great start to the college basketball season. No shortage of entertaining results to this point. And out of everything that we've seen first two weeks of the season, have been have there been a few teams that have surprised you either to the positive or the negative? Because I take a look at a team like a Charleston winning the Charleston Classic. I thought that they were going to be good this season, but I'm not sure if I was quite expecting that. They have looked absolutely tremendous. It has been great for me. Meanwhile, you've got a few teams that they're leaving a little bit of something to be desired. If you want to insert them, I will let you. But that said, what has been some of the biggest surprise teams to this point for you this season? Yeah, I mean, Charleston's a good place to start. You know, amazingly, Charleston's played six games already, and all six games were against teams that were in the NCAA tournament last year, all six of them, and they've gone five and one. Now, fortunately, they've played all those games on their home floor because the Charleston Classic was at home, and so were their first three 
games before that. But when you play in the Classic, as anybody that's been there before, it's not really like a home game for them. There are so many fans that travel in and make a whole vacation out of it. You know, when they played Virginia Tech in the finals, that was a, you know, pretty even crowd, maybe maybe even more Hokie fans. So the fact that they persevered in that setting speaks volumes to what Pat Kelsey's group is achieving early on, not to mention the impressive showing against Colorado State and the absolutely dismantling they did of Davidson in the opener. Beyond just like the obvious, I think there's been no shortage of surprises. You know, the Myrtle Beach Invitational won by UMass against Charlotte in the championship. All four of those first round games were upsets, as they would say in Las Vegas. For Charlotte to get to the final was a pretty big surprise. For UMass to get to the final was a huge surprise. UMass won that thing. In these tournaments, we're seeing all sorts of kind of randomized results where the setting changes. And I think that might be a little bit evidenced further by these rosters changing so rapidly in the offseason, whether it be the portal or influx of freshmen being mixed into rotations. We still are just in the second week of the season. You know, I think our first MTE started with the Asheville Championship in the first week of the year. These games all happened in the second week of the year. So again, these teams are still learning each other, figuring each other out, traveling maybe for the first or second time all year as a cohesive group. So you're going to see some surprises. But beyond that, I was pretty impressed with, you know, like Southern Miss. They were a team in the 300s last year. And who knows where they'll finish this year. But they obviously upgraded that roster in the portal this year. They've already got wins at Vanderbilt and Liberty. Just kind of totally out of left field. Nobody expected much from them. Stetson, an almost similar story. They've won at Florida State. They've won at South Florida. They did finally drop a game out in Dublin. They split the two games they had there over the weekend. But, but yeah, there's just so many stories. I don't even know where to begin because you could probably find about 50-plus surprises and about 50-plus disappointments just based on some of that outline the lone objective i have i was willing to put southern miss in the middle slash upper half of the Sun Belt because i mean bringing in felipe haza company i felt like there were yeah. a lot of people sleeping on them and i'm so glad that you brought them up because this has been a team that in my opinion has a lot of value moving forward i think that they're going to be able to do a solid job and it's going to be very fascinating to see what we get out of them this week as i believe that they're going to be in action against Winthrop and that's a game that I think yes. is going to be very solid out there in an event in general that I know that they're going to be seeing games like IPFW versus Eastern Michigan that's a good one I think that South Dakota should be able to take care of business against Long Island but I mean that's just one of the very very many events that we're going to be seeing this week and I do think that that IPFW versus Eastern Michigan game is very big because I like what I've seen out of Imani Bates thus far. Yeah I mean Imani Bates it, to me the way I'm seeing it is they had that game against Michigan and Bates went for 30 plus and was going toe-to-toe with the in-state rival you know Eastern Michigan and Michigan are only separated by about six or seven miles so you know that that game was one of those games where you rise to the occasion if you're a premier playmaker like Imani is But you also saw the downside of when they go to a place like Peoria, Illinois, and play Bradley, get completely wiped off the floor. There's a little bit less juice, a little bit less heart in those types of efforts. So I don't know what we're going to see from him in Cancun. It's kind of a wild card right now. Uh, But for Eastern Michigan and Stan Heath's sake, they're really depending on him to carry a lot of that scoring load along with Farrakhan and some of those other guys. But they're one of the teams that have one of the hugest variances because – I almost feel like they'll play better against better teams just because Imani Bates is going to want to put on a good tape for the NBA scouts in their best competition like the Michigan game. But when they're playing their run-of-the-mill games against your like Bowling Greens and Ball States and you know Purdue, Fort Wayne, and whoever else they'll, they'll play in this event, I don't know what we're going to get. You know, It probably depends on how many scouts are there. So it's really a phenomenal um, case study for this year, but Stan Heath's got a really tough job to try to keep them 
even keel and playing at the same level regardless of opponent but i don't know if he'll be able to achieve that we shall see if he is going to be able to that's a game that i'm certainly going to be watching out for as rocco miller does a great job over there at bracketeer.org is joining me on the podcast and we don't know the second half of the Maui Invitational and what we're going to be getting there. But we know that things are going to be opening up on Tuesday with a big matchup between Creighton and Arkansas prior to that. It's Louisville and Texas Tech. And really, Louisville, I think that we both agree, they're the weak link in this field. It's been really sad to just see what's happened with Louisville. Losing three games on their home floor by one point against Wright State, Appalachian State, and also against Bellarmine. I guess it's a rising up of some of the teams that they have beaten up on in seasons past, but I do take a look at the Maui Invitational, just an absolutely loaded field. Going to be interesting to see what we get in the second half of it, but I think that that Creighton-Arkansas game is going to be a game that a lot of people don't expect because with Creighton and Arkansas, typically you expect teams that are just going to go out there and score 80-plus, but these just feel like teams that are really built on hard nose and great defense. Yeah, Creighton's playing better defense than we've seen in previous years. They've also been unbelievably uh, excellent at ball protection. Their toughest game against Texas Tech by far, mostly by games. I think all by games before they got to the islands. But I have Creighton and Arkansas evaluated almost exactly the same in terms of you know their final grade going into the season. Arkansas playing Louisville today. They got South Dakota State last week in a game where South Dakota State played the day before, so not the full 100%. Jackrabbit team. Fordham, it was a decent opponent. They've had it, they've played well in all their other games. Arkansas didn't have much trouble with them either. So I do think we're going to learn a ton about both teams. Interestingly enough, Arkansas struggled with taking good shots and overall turnover percentage for a top 15 level team, whereas Creighton's done great on both sides of the ball and been just a little bit more efficient. But Arkansas brings it defensively. They're grading right now in the top 10 in steal percentage, turnover force percentage, and defensive effective field goal percentage. And so that's going to be an ultimate matchup right there because Creighton is, of course, a top 10 to 15 team in shooting the ball early in the metrics. I would not be shocked if we get all the way to March and they're still in that top 10, 15 range, which is the snipers they have led by Baylor Shireman, of course. And I thought Kaluma played his best game of the year against Texas Tech. It's going to be a great matchup, and uh, both teams will benefit from playing each other early. Of course, the winner will get the reward of making the championship game, but from just a forecasting standpoint, I have it almost exactly even. Yeah, but I think that that is going to be a highly entertaining game. I give a little bit of the edge to Creighton just because Creighton has a little bit more camaraderie. If this were a game that were, was played in March in terms of the athletes themselves, would probably give Arkansas the edge. I think that that could be the difference in the game, but no doubt this is going to be a slug out, just a hard-nosed game that both of these teams, you know they've got coaches that are going to want it, and that is going to be so much fun to watch as Rocco Miller is joining me on a, the podcast. He does a great job over at bracketeer.org, and Rocco, something else I want to get your thoughts on. We've talked about some of the teams that have been impressive. How about some of the conferences? Because I know you were mentioning Southern Miss a little bit earlier, and really that entire Sun Belt to me has been relatively impressive with some of the wins that they've been able to pick up. Because you mentioned Southern Miss. How about the way that James Madison has come out? They do lose that game on Sunday against North Carolina. But that said, I've been very impressed by some of these teams that have been able to rise up. Louisiana Tech looked very solid in their game against Texas Tech a little bit earlier. It was against a down Louisville team, but at Latchin State, they get a nice straight-up win there. South Alabama's a team that is going to be relatively pesky, so I've liked what I've seen there. The Big Ten in that Big East versus Big Ten Gavit Games Challenge, they look very solid as well. I take a look at those two conferences, and here early on during the season, they really left a good impression on me. Meanwhile, the bottom of the ACC with teams 
like a Florida State, teams like obviously Louisville, Boston College. It's just leaving a little bit of something to be desired for me at this point. Yeah, I'm with you. There's a lot of thoughts I have from top to bottom. But yeah, certainly at the top, the Big Ten was a league that a lot of people, myself included, you know, I really struggled to figure out who the favorite should be. Some of the discrepancies I heard were, you know, because of the fact that nobody was 100% sure on where the depth of the league was going to come from. Maryland in transition. Was Penn State going to be good enough to make a leap forward? You know, how good is Wisconsin? Some of those are questions around the bubble, at least in some of the forecasted brackets, I think were where all the questions lied. Well, now a lot of those answers are coming through. Maryland, of course, just an unbelievable weekend, dismantling St. Louis in, in the first game and then really handling Miami and running away from Miami in the championship game. How could you not be impressed with what the Terrapins have done? Penn State, a very good showing to get third place in the Charleston Classic. Their loss was to Virginia Tech. Really no shame there. A nice finish to beat Colorado State by double digits in the third place game. Besides Rutgers losing to Temple, I guess, might be the only little setback. But Temple's got a good team that's really not too bad from a long-term perspective. I think Wisconsin's off to a really good start. Michigan State is really surprised. Indiana got a road win at Xavier. Iowa got a road win at Seton Hall last week. I just think the depth and the quality. You know, Michigan, of course, avoided disaster yesterday with an overtime win (laughs) against Ohio. But the overall depth of the Big Ten is really starting to show up pretty quickly here. I think we'll be back to kind of that eight to nine big conversation instead of the five to seven bids that some of the people were saying at the start of the year, which I really didn't believe in because I think this league is built to be deep, maybe not necessarily have a dominant Final Four contender, but a lot of teams in the mix to get to the Final Four. And I think that's going to happen again. In a little bit lower tiers, I am very impressed with some of the action that we've gotten out of the WCC for Loyola Marymount to beat Wake Forest in that championship game really kind of blew me away. A big-time overtime win for an Alliance team that's really been disappointing for over a season now going into that event. Perhaps that starts to turn the tides for the Lions. But obviously, Pacific's done a little bit more this year already than anything we saw the last couple of years. And they're teetering already around the top 200. That gets the entire league in the top 200. You know, Pepperdine goes out and beats a really good UC Irvine team hands the Anteaters, their first loss over the weekend. And everybody top to bottom, San Diego and Utah State played an all-time classic overtime game. I think it was Thursday. Utah State, of course, wins that game with one second to go. But San Diego really looking good, especially for perhaps a bottom five team. You know, Santa Clara beat DePaul in their event. San Francisco's undefeated. St. Mary's looks outstanding. So from a WCC standpoint, that looks great. And then out here in the WAC, you know, Seattle U got a great win at Portland. They remain unblemished uh, at this point in time. Sam Houston's got two big wins, also out of the whack, off to an amazing start. And uh, they go about eight, nine deep. California Baptist beat Washington last week. So the WAC had a lot of great things happen. Tarleton is in the championship game of their event against Drake. You just go up and down the whack. It's very, very deep. I'm blown away about how quickly that that league got good. They're on the heels right now in the metrics of catching the Missouri Valley as a whole. As a whole. I could go on and on, but those are some of the ones that really jump out. Oh, my goodness. The way that St. Mary's has been playing. I mean, they held North Texas. I recognize without Tyler Perry going one of 22 from the floor to begin that game. And Hofstra made zero threes on that team a few days ago. So, I mean, that just speaks to the... Just overall fortitude and the strength of that defense as Rocco Miller is joining me on the podcast. And then, Rocco, we've talked about a few games that we're going to be getting for Tuesday. 
Is there one or two that's a little bit off the radar that we have yet to discuss that you think are really worth watching on this day? I think there's a lot to watch. So San Francisco will will take on Wichita State in the championship. Now, again, Wichita State got that loss to Alcorn State. I think a lot of people might have just wrote them off at that point. But since then, they've went to Richmond and got a really good road win there. They suffocated Grand Canyon to 43 total points. A pretty solid Grand Canyon team, at least on paper. And so that sets up for a really interesting final because San Francisco likes to score into the 80s, sometimes even into the 90s. And Wichita State, they also held Central Arkansas to 55 in their opener. And that's a Central Arkansas team that's fifth right now in the country in tempo. So Wichita State's doing an amazing job on defense. Their offense, not the sexiest, not the prettiest to watch, but they're doing enough and they're tweaking their style in a hurry here in the second to third week of the year to kind of fit how they're going to be able to win this year. And I'm pretty intrigued by that because I'm impressed by those two wins over Richmond and GCU just recently. We also have an undefeated Louisiana team getting their first road test at SMU. You know, you mentioned the Sun Belt earlier. Louisiana has been one of those feel-good stories early. They knocked off Louisiana Tech this weekend. They won the Asheville Championship, you know, in convincing fashion by beating Harvard and East Tennessee State during that event. So we'll see if Louisiana can do it in a true road game for the first time, go into a pretty solid program in SMU. Yale's still undefeated. They're going to host Vermont. You know, Vermont's a very desperate team, very uncharacteristic one and four, playing a brutal schedule, losing all three games on the West Coast to USC, to Cal State Fullerton in double overtime. And of course, here at St. Mary's in a game where they were overmatched like many have been. But now they've really got to get up the schneid and try to beat Yale on the road. No easy feat. Yale, of course, won the Rainbow Classic last week and is 4-0. That's definitely a game to watch. Bradley, a team that looks much better, but still without their big man, rank masked, will take on Auburn. Auburn getting away from home for the first time. They really looked weird in the South Florida game where they had to come back and beat South Florida. I'm not even sure what to make of Auburn. I've heard some things behind the scenes where, you know, they've got some potential locker room drama going on. So I'm just really curious, even though it looks like on paper, Auburn should cruise through their event. I think the other semifinals, Liberty versus Northwestern. So on paper, it looks like Auburn should easily win this thing. But once you get away from home and you're down there in Cancun, weird things can happen. We've already seen so many weird things happen in these other events. I'm just curious to see how that Auburn-Bradley game plays out because of that. And Bradley, a bunch uh, is dealing with having rink mass out of the fold, so they've been having to overcome that, and I do think that that is going to be a tremendous event, and it is always tremendous to get you aboard, Rocco. You do a great job covering the game of college basketball over there at Bracketeer.org, and I know you do a lot of things just to contribute to the college basketball landscape, so let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just everything that you got going on in general. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Rocco Miller Eight. Uh, the one stop shop. As long as we have Twitter, knock on wood, <laughs> to get all the information I have going on. I appear on a lot of different shows, podcasts, and you know my work gets featured in different places. So keep everybody up to speed on what's going on there. Also covering a lot of college basketball games in person. Keep you posted on what's going on there as well. And then at, on the website bracketeer.org, right now our teams of the week article will be posted. Just a little spoiler alert: our five teams of the week for week two were the Virginia Cavaliers, who we have not mentioned. Just an unbelievable showing after the uh, unfortunate incident that happened on campus with the football program and just got two unbelievable basketball wins against a really amazing Baylor program and then beating Illinois for the championship. That's our first team of the week. And then, of course, Charleston, who we've talked about, UMass, who we've talked about, Maryland, who we talked about, and Northwestern State is our fifth team of the week. Shocked TCU on the road and then followed that up with another road win at Illinois State, a Demons program who I'm pretty excited about. 
brought in the Missouri State staff, assistant coach, and some of their staff, and then three of their players. Kind of a cool story from the Southland. So that's what's coming up on the website, and then we'll we'll continue to do that newsletter week in and week out either on Sunday nights or Monday afternoons. So just look for that. Rocco does an amazing job taking a look at the game of college basketball. You heard it. He does a great job following a little bit of everything. And every time he joins this podcast, always delivers tremendous insights. A big thanks to Rocco for joining me right here on Coast to Coast Soups, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. 
But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. And we're back here, lovely Las Vegas. We're going to get to with myself, Craig Eve Spears. And now, part of the Beeson Family and Podcast, it is always a pleasure to get our good friend Rocco Miller, the bracketeer aboard. He does an amazing job covering the game of college basketball and a hand to play and getting a lot of these great non conference matchups set up as well. Just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to college basketball. A man that truly loves this sport. It is always great to get him aboard. Big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Tuesday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GUnit underscore 81. Going to be going in Las Vegas Station R, which means that, well, this thing is going to be a mess. It starts out with the games with 
teams in bigger conferences unless if they play in a select multi-team event and then there's also multi-team events there at the bottom as well so we're just gonna go in the order that a lot of books list this in i'm just gonna leave it at that because man it is a little bit strange trying to describe it right now but with that said we've got a great day of college basketball and it begins with 601 602 on the betting board it is canisius and they are going to be on the road playing against cornell cornell is between a 7 and 8 point favorite and your total on this game is 149. I was actually willing to set my total at 158. You've got a Cornell team that they turned down for absolutely nobody in terms of their tempo and a Canisius bunch that they have been willing to run. They already gave up 90 points earlier this season when they played against Youngstown State for Canisius. Not really a lot down low for this team and You've got a Cornell team in which the whole is greater than some of its parts. You've got Greg Dolan, who's been doling out about 15 points per contest. I like his game. Cornell overall shooting 39% from three. I do expect this to regress a little bit, but Keller Boothby is really the X factor for the team. Nine and a half points, three boards. Last season shot 49% from three off to about a 33% start this season. I do think he's going to be able to pick it up when it comes to this Cornell team. Dolan also leads the team in rebounds, assists. Steals, so he certainly has been able to do it all. They do need a little bit down low because right now you've got Guy Raglan Jr. giving you seven and a half points, five and a half boards, but really past that you don't have a ton. And that's where I do think that Kadishas is going to be able to hold in this game. Kadishas, not terrific down low, but Bryce Okpo has been able to give you eight points, seven and a half rebounds per game, comes in from the non D1 level and has been rock solid for this team. And then along with that for Kadishas, you've got Jameer Motri. He comes in after shooting nearly 40% for three. Kennesaw State last season, shooting right now 56.5% from three. He'll cool off, but give the team 12.5 points per contest. You've gotten production out of Seam Ojendal, who's been able to give you 10 points per contest last season, was able to give the team more like four points per contest. He needed to take a step up, and he's been able to do so. And then Jakob Fritz, who's right around six foot eight, he's able to can a few threes as well. Both of these teams, solid three-point shooting teams. Neither of these teams generate a lot of seals. Neither of these teams very good on defense, and both are looking to push the tempo a little bit. So, as a result, I am looking at this total over seven. My total at 158, and with Cornell, made them a six-point favorite. So, we'll take seven plus here with Kenesha. 603-604 on the betting board. UT Martin, they are going to be on the road facing up against Arkansas State. Old Arky State is between a two-and-a-half and a, a three-point favorite, and your total on this game is 142-and-a-half. When it comes to UT Martin, I did set them as a four-and-a-half-point underdog, so I'm going to be looking to lay it with Arkansas State. Arkansas State loses no Chad Romier from last season, and that certainly leaves them behind the eight ball, but having a lot of the backcourt that they have from last season is important, including Caleb Fields. 12.5 points per contest. He's able to give out four assists. Has been a starter for the team for now. Season number four. Last season saw a little bit of a dip in scoring, but overall for his career, about a 33% three-point shooter. Nothing great. Nothing terrible. And then Omar El Ashik who began his career at Fairfield, went down to the 91 level for his few seasons. He was resurfaced, and he's looked tremendous. 10 points, 7 rebounds. He's got versatility to be able to pop some threes, and then Avery Feltz, an assist turnover ratio right now of 10. For Arkansas State, this is a UT Martin bunch that has been able to do a good job of pickpocketing to their credit. They're generating a little bit over 11 seals per contest with Parker Stewart getting more than three per game. Now Stewart needs to pick it up in terms of his three-point shooting, just 27.5% three-point shooter. While he was at UT Martin, his last season there, 2019-20 season, was registering right around 19 to 18 points per game. This series at 14, so needs to pick it up there. And you just seen a little bit more down low. K.K. Curry, along with Chris Nix, are combining for 10.5 rebounds per game. They're both giving you about 9 to 10 points per game as well. And the K.J. Simon, Mr. Do-It-All at the guard spot. 14.5 points, 2.5 assists, 5 boards, right around 2 steals per game. But 
UT Martin also shooting 30% from three. They're not afraid to play fast. Arkansas State, not a team that's really going to be getting out of control. And I do like Terrence Ford Jr. has been able to give this team nine points, three boards, three assists. Comes in from the great state of Illinois and needs to be able to make a little bit of an impact. And when it comes to just being able to get healthy in general, Malcolm Farrington returning to the fold. That is big for Arkansas State as well. And that really put me over the top on them. I do think that he's worth a point to the line. So did set Arkansas State as a four and a half point favorite. So I'm going to be willing to lay it here. Did set my total at 144 and a half. UT Martin, not supreme on defense and a team that is looking to play a little bit faster. Think we could get some late game filling as well. So going to be taking a look at this total over 605, 606 on the betting board. Notre Dame is going to be playing us a Bowling Green. Bowling Green is an underdog of 14.5 points with a total of 150.5. Did set my total at 152. Notre Dame by no means is any sort of a blazer, but with this Notre Dame team, they have been highly efficient on offense. They've been highly inefficient on defense as well. It has been just CMO of this team. As for Notre Dame, you got to love what you're getting out of Nate Lashevsky. 19.5 points, a little bit over 10 boards. He's canning 46% of his threes as a 6'10 combo player. Notre Dame is also allowing opponents to shoot in the high 30s from three-point range as well. This is a Bowling Green team that needs to get it going a little bit more, shooting 29.5% from distance. But Lanier's the third, I think, is going to be able to keep the team in the game. I still remember while he was at Duquesne last season, at 10 points per contest two seasons ago at Mercer, buried right around 40% of his threes, a little bit over 12 points per contest. And when it comes to Bowling Green, they aren't terrific down low, but Ayers, along with another gentleman and Rashawn Agee, are both able to give you six rebounds per game. You've been able to get right around five boards per game out of Sam Towns as well. A Bowling Green team that over the last two seasons has been one of the quickest in all of college basketball. I do think he's going to look to run the pace a little bit more. Brenton Mills just has not worked out for the team to this point, but you do have Samari Curtis. He's been able to pump in their 14 points per contest, only shooting 24% from three. I think that that's going to go northward, but at least 12 points and three assists in every contest this season. And for Notre Dame, they do a nice job not turning the ball over. You got some like Trey Wirtz that does a nice job doling it out three and a half assists per game. Now for Notre Dame, they only generate right around four seals per contest. So should be seeing a lot of clean possessions in this game. Notre Dame as a whole shooting 40% from three point range. JJ Starlin, the star freshman, 12 points per game, shooting 40% from three, six foot five combo player, Dane Goodwin, 16 and a half points per game. So I think you're going to see a lot of offense, not necessarily a fast tempo, but I do think that it's going to be a little bit faster than normal in terms of Notre Dame games, just with the way that Bowling Green plays. So I think you're going to get plenty of points up on the board. So my total 152 looking over. And when it comes to this Bowling Green team, I did set them as an underdog of... 16 points, so here at 14 and a half, I'm going to be willing to lay it with Notre Dame. We go 607, 608 on the betting board. It is Southern Indiana. They are going to be on the road. They're going to be playing against a Bonaventure. The old Bonnies are finding themselves an 8 to an 8 point favorite, and your total on this game is 141, and with St. Bonaventure, made them an 11 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it with them because with Southern Indiana, very nice showing to begin the season against Missouri, and, and this is a Southern Indiana team that they were at the D2 level last season, but with that said, they were always one of the better D2 schools, and I do think that the difference between a high-caliber D2 school and a low-grade D1 program, not very big right now for Southern Indiana. They bring with them a guy that was actually playing for Nebraska a few seasons ago in Trevor Lakes. 11.5 points, 5.5 boards, currently shooting 54% from three, and overall this is a bunch that's shooting 45.7% from three. We can expect that to go a little bit further southward, and for Southern Indiana, the big thing for them is that they're turning the ball over 16.5 times for contest. They've been looking to Isaiah Swope to dole out the ball. He's a sophomore. That last season was relatively solid, but 
needs a little bit more seasoning. Sometimes this team gets a bit out of control. And for St. Bonaventure, they've done a nice job of bringing guys that just do a good job of on-ball defending, like Kyra Luch, who was playing over at Holy Cross last season, 15 points, 6.5 assists, 3 steals per game, shooting 42% per three. Daryl Banks the third, while he was at St. Peter's last season, was a part of that Elite Eight run. He's come in, he's been able to can 42% of his threes, 21 points per contest as well. Now, down low, you don't necessarily have a lot for this team. You've got someone like a Chad Venning, who comes in for the MEAC 5 rebounds per game. Jan Farrell, who is a freshman, he's been really leading the way down low, but with just the Southern Indiana team not having a lot of size, having to rely upon someone in Jelani Simmons, who was at Youngstown State a few seasons ago, it does leave them in a little bit of a tough situation. I think that the Bonnies are going to be able to rip down a lot of rebounds. Southern Indiana not looking to play at necessarily a breakneck pace, and I do think that they're going to be neutralized by this St. Bonaventure team and the way that they play very slow, very under control. So this is a scenario where I am going to be taking a look at the under semi tall at 135, and with St. Bonaventure, made them an 11-point favorite. So, going to be willing to lay it here. We go 609-610 on the betting board as it is George Washington and our nation's first president going to be playing us to UC San Diego. UC San Diego is an underdog of between 8.5 and 9 points. Draw this game, it is between 140 and 141. I did set George Washington as a 9.5 point favorite. They actually lost on the road against UC San Diego last season. So, a bit of a revenge spot from a season ago, and when it comes to the UC San Diego Tritons team, they're looking at Bryce Pope to really get things going. He's been able to generate 17 points per contest last season. Shot about 33% from three this year, right in that neighborhood as well, but he just doesn't do a lot on the glass, and other than Francis Nwokore, who's been able to give you 6.5 points, 6.5 boards per contest, and last season did you 41% from three, down a little bit from this season. He's You don't have a team that just is really giving you a lot of size, and Ricky Lindo Jr., who's been very solid since coming over from Maryland, a guy that's averaging nine boards, two blocks, 10 points per game, should be able to win that battle on the glass. Hunter Dean is able to give you five-plus rebounds per game as well. And when it comes to James Bishop, guy's a walking bucket for George Washington. 23.8 points, 5.3 assists. He is serving our nation's first president very well for a George Washington team that shoots as a collective 35.5% from three. George Washington will get a little bit out of control, a little bit over 15 turnovers per contest, but it's not like you've got a UC San Diego team that's generating a lot of steals. You do have someone in Emmanuel Shaminga down low who's got good size. He stands right around 6 foot 11, 7 feet tall. He's been able to pull in their five rebounds per contest. You're looking for more out of J. Ron Brooks, who's been able to give the team 9.5 points per game, but with UC San Diego being a poor three-point shooting team, a team that just has been a little bit underachieving on the glass as well, I do think that George Washington going to be able to avenge last season's loss. I did set George Washington as a 9.5 point favorite, so going to be one to lay it here. So my total at a 136 as well, so here at the 149 slash 141 with UC San Diego, a bottom 75 team in terms of possessions per game, going to be taking a look at the under. 611, 6 on the betting board. Ryder is going to be on the road facing off against Rutgers. Rutgers is between a 15 and a half to a 16 point favorite total on scheme is saying between 137 and 137.5. Typically, because you've got a Ryder team that you may remember from the weekend, they were playing out in Ireland. They were playing those insane like 2 a.m. games and everything like that. Typically, I'd be very willing to fade the team coming back from across the pond. Not going to happen this time because Rutgers is dealing with a pair of big injuries to their backcourt. Caleb McConnell has not been able to play all season long. And in their last game without Paul Muke, who has only been able to give the team right around five points per contest, but gives you right around four assists per game in that game against Temple as a six-point favorite, they lost outright. 
They just did not look right without him. And it's a Rutgers bunch I firmly believe is going to be able to play good defense. Cliff Amarui has been able to give you 17.5 points, 10.5 boards. Andre Hyatt is able to give you 5.5 rebounds per game. Cam Spencer, Swiss Army Knife guy that comes in from Loyola, Maryland, 17 points, 4.3 boards. He's been able to average 4 steals per game as well as Rutgers. It's giving you 13.3 steals per contest. But I do think that Ryder going to be in a little bit more control. Keep in mind to begin the season that this Ryder team lost by one when they were playing against Providence. And they've got Mr. Do-It-All and Dwight Murray Jr. 20 and a half points, 5 and a half boards, 3 and a half assists, 2 seals per game. Shooting 47% from 3 overall. Ryder is shooting 37% from 3, north of 80% at the free throw line. And they're very much in control. Turning the ball over fewer than 11 times for contest. You could use a little bit more out of A.G. Aguamo Johnson, who's only been able to give the team two rebounds per game. That has been a little bit of a sore spot for the team as right now their main form of rebounding is Tariq Ingram. Ingram, six foot nine, a little bit of a bowling ball style player that comes in from Wake Forest, has been able to give the team about five and a half rebounds per game. But I do think that Alan Bertrand, him being able to get online after he a few seasons ago at Towson, averaged 14 points per game, was a very good three-point shooter. Mervyn James, a six foot seven combo player that has not missed a three all season long. I think that that'll regress, but giving you 10.5 points per contest. That'll keep Ryder in it in this one. Certainly fatigue is a little bit of a factor, or else I do think that Ryder might be able to stay within single digits in this spot. But with that said, this is a total in which I'm going to be taking a look at the under on semi-total 134.5. Rutgers is playing relatively fast, but they're doing a great job staying in control on defense. So, going to be willing to take a look at this total under, and with Ryder, going to be willing to take the points as I set them as an underdog of 13.5. 6-13, on the betting board. UT Rio Grande Valley is going to be playing us to Northern Arizona. The Lumberjacks of Northern Arizona, 4.5 point favorite in your total on this game. It is 146, and with Northern Arizona, they're coming off of a good old back-to-back, and I did set Grand Valley, the host team, as the 1.5 point favorite as a result. I'm going to be willing to take them on the money line. UT Rio Grand Valley also coming off of a game against Western Illinois, but I did think that for UT Rio Grand Valley, they've got one of the more underrated mid-major players in all of college basketball now. He's got nothing else around him but Justin Johnson. He returns from last season after he had 17.7 points, 6.5 boards, was a mid-30s three-point shooter, and you've got a little bit more for this UT Rio Grande Valley team to help him out. Dima Zador, who a few seasons ago was seeing significant minutes at Weber State, he's been able to give the team right around five boards per contest, doing a nice job of being able to shore things up down low. You do need a little bit more on the bench as Darius Ward to be able to come in after he began his career at LaSalle. He's been able to pump in there right around six and a half points per contest. Grand Valley not going to wow you with your three-point shooting in. For Northern Arizona, you do have a few guys I do like, as you've got Carson Tautu's been able to give the team 10 rebounds per contest. Not a guy that's going to stretch the floor or anything like that, but just does a very good job there and is a willing passer, giving out three assists per game. Jalen Cohn, he's just an inefficient scorer. Last season, he had 19 points per game, but also turned the ball over 3.7 times per contest. He had more turnovers than assists. That is an issue because you do have someone that's versatile. And Nick Maines at last season at six foot eight was able to bury over 40% of his threes. He's shooting 37% from long range this season. To the credit of Northern Arizona, they're doing a better job of taking care of the ball this season, but they also give up the arc. You do have a UT Rio Grande Valley team that they're looking to play quite fast. You've got a Northern Arizona team that's looking to play a little bit more slowly, and you've got a pair of teams that they played yesterday, so I do think the tired likes 
going to be a bit of a factor here. As a result, I did set my total at a 145 and a half, so here at the 146, I'm going to be diving under, and when it comes to this spot, I did set our good friends as one and a half point favorites at home in UT Rio Grande Valley, so I'm going to be looking to take the home underdog on the money line to go along with this total under. 615, 616 on the betting board. This is the DK Nation podcast. You've got SMU, and they are going to be playing us to Louisiana. Louisiana is a three to three and a half point underdog. Dawn's game is 146. I made SMU a nine-point favorite. With SMU, I really like the pieces that they brought in via the transfer portal, and I do think that they're going to be able to do a good job of neutralizing a Louisiana team that they do have good size in Jordan Brown, someone who stands right around six foot ten, six foot eleven, has been able to do a nice job of letting it fly from three-point range. As being a big man, he's able to give you a double-double on any given night, but they don't necessarily have a lot that I trust out in the backcourt. And then for SMU, you've been able to have a lot of guys come along after last season. They were a bit of afterthoughts, like a Zurich Phillip and a Zach Natal. These two guys are combined to be able to average a little bit over 32 points per contest, 2.8 steals per game. Neither of these guys are terrific three-point shooters, but I do think that you're going to see this SMU three-point shooting percentage of 25% certainly go up now. I don't think that at the end of the year they're going to be like a top 23 point shooting team or anything like that, but I think that they should be able to win the battle down low. Effie Obadiji has been able to give you 10 rebounds per contest. He comes in after last season. He was the top rebounder at Troy. And Samuel Williamson, a former top 35 recruit two seasons ago at Louisville, was averaging 9.5 points, 8 boards per game. He is now giving the team 8 rebounds per contest. He seems to have found a nice home here at SMU. You've also been able to get a little bit of versatility out of somebody like in Stefan Tordovic. He's been able to give you right around 8 points per contest. Last season shot 43.5% from 3, down a little bit this season, but I do think that he's going to be able to find his footing as well. And for Louisiana, the big key for this team is whether or not they're actually going to be able to just find guys in open passing lanes because you've been able to get five and a half assists per game thus far from famous folks, but he really doesn't have a lot of help out there in the backcourt. You've got someone in Kendall Garnett who was able to shoot nearly 47% for three last season, but he was a low usage guy at seven points per game. He now needs to take some strides forward. And I do have my question marks as to whether or not that is going to be happening and losing someone like a Theo Akwuba down low and having to replace him with Harold Lewis the second, not the easiest. So I did set SMU as a nine point favorite. They got a nice home court advantage, so I'm going to make SMU the DK Nation pick, as I felt like they should have been a nine-point favorite, and I did set my total at 145. You've got a Louisiana team that's looking to play a little bit more up-tempo. SMU, they're looking to hold their hat on defense. I do think that SMU is going to be able to improve their three-point shooting, but I do think that they're going to be keeping up their south defense as well, so this is a spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at the under. DK Nation pick is on SMU, laying between three and three and a half. 617, 618 on the betting board, Abilene Christian, and Weaver State to battle from the Dollar Loan Center in Henderson, Nevada. Abilene Christian, a seven-point favorite. Dolls between 137.5 and 138 with Abilene Christian. I set them as an eight-point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to lay the points with them with Abilene Christian. They just play that zone defense, that just pressing style that takes it out of so many teams, and it's very, very hard to prepare for, and I do think that Weber State is going to be having their issues, because with Weber State, well, you do have his one guy that's able to do a nice job, but he's a little bit more of a front court guy. That would be Dylan Jones, who's been able to give the team 16 points, 11 boards, 5.3 assists, as a 6'6", sort of do-it-all point four, but who's going to be able to step up for Weber State and just lend him a little bit of help? Is it going to be Kevin Dimwitty, who comes in from San Diego State, averaging right around seven points per contest? Good defender, doesn't provide anything on offense. Steven for Blanken Jr., 
just does not play on the ball. He has to play off the ball. Last two seasons at Southern Illinois, was able to average right around 6.8 points per contest. Solid three-point shooter, but has not been able to create his own shot to this point. And for Weber State, entering into Monday, shooting 25.5% from three-part range. I like Junior Bauer coming in, but he hasn't been able to give the team anything as a facilitator as well. Spent the last few seasons at Fresno State, where he was averaging right around five to six points per contest. And then for Abilene Christian, it's a team in which a hole is greater than some of its parts. You've got someone like an Arian Simmons, who's been able to give the team 12 points per contest. That's really the main scorer, but you're able to go nine deep with this team. You've got a whole bunch of guys like Simmons. You're able to throw in there Cameron Steele, Damian Daniels, all these guys. Give me between four and five rebounds per game now. Joe Pleasant has been out of the fold to begin the season. That has hurt them a little bit, so they could be even deeper when it's all said and done. But the guy that I think could be a little bit of an X-factor, Tobias Cameron. He's been able to give you 12 points per contest. He's never been a terrific three-point shooter. He's been able to shoot 50% from three-point range to begin the season. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be long-lasting, but has also been able to give the team some facilitation with four assists per game. It's a Abilene Christian team that they're going to force their turnovers. They're going to turn the ball over themselves. They play at a very fast and rapid pace, and Weber State, they underwent a coaching change in the offseason. They're looking to play a little bit more slowly. As a result, I did set my total at a 146. I do think that they're going to be sped up by Abilene Christian just because they think that Abilene Christian is going to be a heat-seeking missile in terms of getting these seals. So I'm going to be taking a look at the total over, and with Abilene Christian, we'll only lay up to eight with them. 619, 620 on the betting board. It is Utah State playing also Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts is an underdog between 8.5 and, and 9 points with a total of 154. And with Oral Roberts, set them as an 8.5 point underdog. So at 9, and I need at the very minimum a 9, I'm going to be willing to take the points with our good friend Oral Roberts. And Oral Roberts has Max A. Smith on their team, a guy that last two seasons has been averaging 23 plus points per contest. And I think that that'll keep them very live and active in this game as he's able to bury right around 40% of his threes. The big question mark is what you're going to be able to get outside of him, and 7'5", Connor Vanover is just absolutely insane. He's shooting 36.5% from three, 13 points, 8 rebounds, 4.6 blocks per contest. Just a monster of a man who's been able to give you 6 plus blocks, and now 3 out of the team's 5 games this season, including one of those games coming against St. Mary's as well, but you need a little bit more out of some like a Deshaun Weaver who's been able to give you 10 points, 3.5 boards, shooting a ball from 3 point range, but down low other than Vanover, you really don't have much else as Aismas has had to give the team 7.5 rebounds per game. That is a little bit of an issue. You'd like to see a little bit more from Carlos Jurgens in terms of doling out the ball. And then for Utah State, they've got the Funk and Taylor Funk. He has been able to do a tremendous job since coming over from St. Joe's. A little bit over 18 points, 9.5 boards, shooting 48% for 3. Utah State, they're a good 3-point shooting team. They're not as good as their 43.7% 3-point shooting. Now, they're going up against the Royal Roberts team that sometimes they have a little bit of a tough time guarding the 3-point arc. And I do like what Daniel Aiken is able to give you down low. 9 rebounds, 12.5 points per contest. Began his career at UMBC and has been able to do a solid job there. But with Utah State, they also don't necessarily have a ton of depth. Would like to see a bit more out of Ryland Jones. He's been able to give the team 5 assists, but has only been playing 19 minutes per game. He's sort of been in a timeshare with someone like a Max Scholga, who's been shooting it very well from three-point range with Utah State. I do think that they're going to have a tough time matching up with this Oral Roberts backcourt, but at the same time, I do think that they're going to be able to do a very solid job with their versatile forwards in just creating spacing. But that said, I do think that 
Utah State going to see a little bit of Coolidge in terms of their three-point shooting, and I do think that Utah State is going to look to try to make things a little bit more slowly because I don't think that they want to get into a track meet with Oral Roberts. As a result, I set my line at 8.5, so willing to take 9 or more with Oral Roberts, and I did set my total at a 152.5, so also going to be looking at in total under. As we go 621-622 on the betting board, it is UC Davis, and they're going to be playing us at Sacramento State. Sacramento State is an underdog of between 4.5 and, and 5 points with a total between 131 and 132. And with Sacramento State, I set them as a four-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them as a money line underdog. I'm really not sure why we have seen so many people so low on the Sacramento State team, but I absolutely love what they did in the transfer portal. Bringing in David Patrick, I thought was a very good coaching hire. And you've got Colin McRae down low. Seven foot one big man that's able to give you eight rebounds. He's able to give you multiple assists for contests as well. And they're going up against a UC Davis bunch. At, as a versatile guy that I like in Elijah Pepper. Pepper has been able to give the team 20 points per contest. He's able to pull in their five rebounds per game. So be able to do a nice job there. And then Christian Anigwai has been able to do a solid job being able to pull in there some rebounds as well. So something that I do watch out for in this game. But when it comes to just all the talent that this Sacramento State team brought in, something like 100 marks that's got size and is able to pop threes, I do think that it's going to be a very tough task for UC Davis to match up with. UC Davis has always been perennially a team that doesn't guard the three very well. Now, I will say this. Robbie Beasley, the third who comes in from Montana, could be a little bit of X factor for this UC Davis team. Only he's been able to average nine points, four boards per contest, but last season at Montana, more like 12 points per contest, was able to bury about 38 or so percent of his threes. You've also been able to get some nice production out of Ty Johnson. Johnson, a sophomore that last season, just really didn't see the floor too much, was a little bit banged up. 14 points, five and a half rebounds per game, but Sacramento State is a team with more size. They've got versatility with Cameron Wilbon pumping in their 12 points, five boards, shooting 37.5% from three-point range as a 6'5", do-it-all sort of player. And this is a team that even though they don't generate a lot of seals, they just do a great solid job on the glass using their size with guys like Akal Wayne and just making life miserable. David Patrick style is always very slow, play through their big men. And I do think that that is going to be the case once again. And that is why I did set Sacramento State as a favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them on the money line. And when it comes to this total, I set mine at a 132. You got a UC Davis team that doesn't necessarily gun it. Sacramento State is a bunch that plays relatively slowly, but I do think that you could get some late game fouling. And this one in UC Davis, they do let up the arc quite a bit as well. So at 131 looking over and looking to take Sacramento State on the money line. 623, 624 on the betting board. Wright State hopes to be the right side against UC Riverside at the Dollar Loan Center in Henderson, Nevada. As this game is a pick'em, total is between 147 and 148. And with Wright State, I did set them as a two-point favorite. Wright State has, in my opinion, the best guard out there on the floor. That'd be Trey Kelvin, a guy that has made by average over 20 points per contest this season. And you all in all have a right seat team with very good versatility. They get one guy that is really not going to go out there and stretch a floor. That would be A.J. Braun, who's been able to do a solid job giving you 11 points, right around 3.5 rebounds per game. Right State only shooting about 30% from three. They need to improve that, but you've got good versatility with Amari Davis. Only six foot two, but it's able to give the team seven boards, pair of assists, 15 points per game, and then the guy that I think needs to stretch out the floor and really get some shots for Calvin is Tim Fickey. 9.6 boards, 3.5 assists. Two seasons ago, shot 40% from three. Off to a 25% start from three this season. We saw that from Wright State last season. Took them a little while to get things going from three-point range, and when they did get it going, it was very, very good. And for UC Riverside, it's all about easing up things on Zion Poland, who's been terrific in the backcourt. 15.5 points, five boards, three assists. Has been shooting 75% from three. 
We will certainly see that come back to the pack a little bit, but Jamal Hartwell, who comes in from George Mason, he's been able to give the team right around nine points per contest during the 2019-20 season. He's more around a nine and a half point per game scores, a career 34.5%, three-point shooter, six for seven combo player, Flynn Cameron. He stuffs the stat sheet, eight points, five and a half boards, three and a half assists, a little bit over two seals per game, so that has been solid for them, but losing Kyle McRae, that puts them in a tough spot down low. They've been looking to Lachlan Ulbrich, who comes in as a freshman, has been able to give the team right around six rebounds per game, but past that, you don't necessarily have a lot. Kyle Owens is a six foot eight combo player from Montana who's been relatively okay, but as a result, UC Riverside has had to pick up their tempo a little bit. Wright State, they're a bit of a faster team, but they're not necessarily an efficient offensive team, and I do think that they get a little bit more junk than they deserve on defense. I do think that they're going to do a solid job guarding against the UC Riverside team that they're average or below average in terms of their three-point shooting. As a result, I did set Wright State as a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them in this spot. Keep in mind that both of these teams did play yesterday as well, so I did set my total at a 141. I'm going to be taking a look at this total under. 645, 626 on the betting board. We go to the Gulf Coast Showcase. We're going to be having no numbers for this game because these two teams played yesterday, but you do have yourself Toledo, and they're going to be playing against East Carolina. In terms of my handicap, I did set Toledo as a 14.5 point favorite, and when it comes to this total, I set it at a 158.5, so 158 or less looking at the over 159 or higher to the under, and willing to lay up to 14 with Toledo with the Rockets. I do like what you've got in JT Shulmate. Some of that saying six foot seven last season shot over 45% from three-point range. He's been picking up right where he left out from last season. And they're going up against an East Carolina team that I do think that they're going to be paying for the sins of what they have done this season. They have gotten down at least 10 points in every one of their games this season, typically in the first half, and then they have to rally in the second half. You're not going to be able to do that against the Toledo team. Toledo shot just 8-29 for three-point range yesterday. I think that they're going to be able to pick that up. You've got something like a Cedric Milliner Jr. who's been able to give you 17-plus points per game. He's able to chip in their six rebounds, and then Ray J. Dennis, who does an amazing job giving out five-plus assists per game. He's really worked on his outside shooting, so you've got a lot of guys that are able to contribute, including Maddox coming in from Cal State Fullerton. He's able to chip in their double figures as well, so I do think that this is just going to be an overwhelming spot for a East Carolina team that, I mean, they've got a few guys I do like. Caleb McCount, the freshman, has been able to give the team right around eight points per contest. You've got someone in Winston Tabs that, when he's out there, he's solid. He's been dealing with injuries just the last few years in general, so that certainly sets them a little bit behind the eight ball, and what I think is also going to be just so important for this team as well is just being able to get a little bit down low, trying to slow down a Toledo team that has a heat-seeking missile, and I just don't know if East Carolina is going to be able to do so, so I did set Toledo as a 14.5 point favorite, one to lay up to 14 with them, and I do think that Toledo going to get their very up-tempo style. East Carolina has been very willing to give up open layups in this sort of run as well. So, semi total at 158.5, looking at a 158 or less over, 159 or higher to the under, and 15 plus is what I would need to take a look at East Carolina. 627, 628 on the betting board. It is Indiana State. They're going to be playing against UMKC, and this is a game that currently does not have numbers as well. This is out there in the great state of Florida, and with Indiana State, I set them as a 10-point favorite with a total of 144. With UMKC and Marvin Menzies, you know that they're going to bring at them just a wide variety of looks. They sort of 
mix up their defense at the drop of a hat. So that is going to be able to keep this team guessing. But Indiana State, I do think, is going to be able to do a good job of busting through. And Indiana State playing with a little bit more tempo now. They've got that Josh Schertz Lincoln Memorial style that is going on. You saw them go just 7-28 to from three-part range yesterday against East Carolina. And they were still very nearly able to get to 80 as you've got Kovisier McCauley chipping in their 20-plus points per contest. He's been able to shoot 40% from three-point range. It's a team that is willing to go deep into their bench. Guys like a Xavier Bledson have been very solid as he's been able to give the team right around about 7-8 points per game this season, last season. A little bit more of a prolific score. I do think that he's going to be able to pick it up. Cooper Nice, nice double-figure score as well. And then you've got the Swiss Army Knife six foot seven guy and Calix Stevens who last season was able to give the team 10 points, 5.5 boards, was able to bury about 32% of his threes. That's going to be tough for UMKC to stop because with UMKC they really just don't have a lot in terms of versatility. It's been Jamari Allen having to do everything at this point who was a little bit of an afterthought for the team last season. 16 points, 6 boards, 3 steals per game. Not necessarily a great 3-point shooter as UMKC as a whole. They're shooting sub 30% from 3-point range this season and you've got a UMKC bunch that is looking to Anderson Kopp really being that main scorer. He was in the Southland a few seasons ago and last season did shoot 42% from 3 with 8 points per contest. Now he's having to really take a big stride forward. You don't necessarily have a lot of rebounding as it's been all on Alan David Membeka Jr. who has been, to his credit, able to give the team 8 rebounds per game, but not ideal size for this team. They're really relying upon manipulation, just mixing things up in general to be able to hang in games because they don't necessarily have that one main ball handler. UMKC going into the game yesterday against Toledo, turning the ball over 20 times for contest. They were able to button things up a little bit more yesterday against Toledo, but Toledo, not a team that necessarily does a great job of being able to generate those steals. And I don't think that you're going to see Raekwondis Mitchell duplicate the 18 of 20 that he went at the free throw line. Yes, yeah, they're Indiana State, a little bit more of a wise team, a bit more of a well-coached team. So I did set Indiana State as a 10-point favorite, one to lay up to 9.5 with them. And when it comes to totals, did set it at a 144. So that means 143.5 or less looking over, 145.5 or higher. Going to be taking a look at this total under. 629, 630 on the betting board. This is another game that is off the board, but... We're getting UT Arlington against Northern Kentucky. With Northern Kentucky, I set them as an 8-point favorite and made my total a 126 half, so 126 or less looking over 127 or higher. Going to be taking a look at the under end. With Northern Kentucky, a little bit of a letdown yesterday against Dunk City, but that said, they were playing against a Dunk City team that they were pretty much competing in their home state, and they had the home crowd out, so that hurts them just a little bit, but I've been rather impressed by what I've seen out of Northern Kentucky. I felt like it was a little bit of a letdown spot yesterday coming off of their big win over Cincinnati, and they've shown that they're able to get a big win like that. You've got someone in Marquise Warwick, who has been able to give you about 16 or so points per contest, has been a high 33-point shooter, and Chris Brandon yesterday held the two rebounds. You do want to be taking note there. He was in all sorts of foul trouble prior to that. 15 rebounds per contest. He should be able to stay out of foul trouble a little bit more against the UT Arlington team, of which they had Kato Ricci, Ibiana, Ihogo last season do a very solid job down low for them. He, after being a guy that was able to deliver two and a half blocks per contest, is out of the fold, and they were able to 38 points yesterday against Drexel. You really don't have a lot of scoring with the scene. Pedro Castro, who came in from Houston Christian a few seasons ago, where he had 15 points per contest, shot 
40% from three. This season, he's averaging barely over four points per game as not been able to find his form. In terms of three-point shooting percentage, it's just all based around Aaron Cash at this point. The transfer from Texas A&M so we able to give the team right in the right neighborhood about seven points per contest. Has not been too efficient himself for UT Arlington. You really don't have that main facilitator with this team either, so they're completely outgunned in that respect. They are going to lose the battle on the glass with having really only one guy that's able to give you rebounds. That would be Shamar Wilson. Wilson limited to three rebounds yesterday, but prior to that was averaging about 11 rebounds per game, but he took a big leap, and with really nobody to be able to help him out, nobody to be able to just take the edge off and not getting a lot in the backcourt. You're relying upon someone like Kyron Gibson being able to step up. It leaves UT Arlington in a tough spot. Willing to lay up to 7.5 with Northern Kentucky, 8.5 or more. Taking the points with UT Arlington and semi-total at a 126.5, so at a 127 or higher, going to be taking a look at the under 631-632 on the betting board. Also out there in Florida, you've got yourself Florida Gulf Coast, and they're going to be playing against Drexel. I said Florida Gulf Coast as a 5-point favorite. I did award a little bit because this is in the great state of Florida, so that certainly helps out Dunk City. And for Florida Gulf Coast, I like what Pat Chambers is actually building with this program. They were able to get a very convincing 21-point win yesterday against Northern Kentucky. And for Florida Gulf Coast, they've already got a nice win on their resume going up against USC a bunch. They went 12-28 from three-point range yesterday. A little bit out of the ordinary, but do have a guy in Chase Johnson who's been able to pour in their 13.5 points per contest since he was at Setson last season. About a 38-39% to three-point shooter. Demir Bishop, who comes in from St. Jones, he's been able to give the team a double-figure amount of points per game. And then Isaiah Thompson, last season at Purdue, and a little bit of a lower usage role. Shot 42% for three. He's been able to give the team 11 points per contest. He's been able to keep that efficiency very high. You don't necessarily have a ton down low. They've been looking a little bit more to Zach Anderson, who's been able to give you seven rebounds per game, and they're going to be going up against a Drexel team, in which they do have Imani Williams. Williams, he was able to give the team two blocks per contest last season. Thus far this season, really has been able to get things going. He's been able to give the team right around seven boards. Lamar Odin Jr., giving the team a little bit over seven rebounds per game. That's been helpful as well, but with Williams, he's just had to be Mr. Do-It-All for this team after he missed a little bit of a game to begin the season. He had a double-double yesterday, so he's back online there after missing a little bit of time, but where you're going to be able to get out of the backcourt, that's the question. Cameron Winter was running the show for such a long time. They bring in Cullet Train Washington to be a little bit of a designated scorer for the team. He's shooting 40% from three. He's been able to pump in their 13 points per game, but for Drexel, losing Xavier Bell as well. That leaves this team shooting about 30% from three-point range. Florida Gulf Coast has been good at knocking down their threes. They've been good at guarding the arc. I do think that they're going to be able to do enough down low against Williams to be able to get this one home, and I do think that it's going to be a little bit more of a defense-oriented battle. Semi-total at 136, 135 and a half or less. Looking at the over 136 and a half or higher, going to be taking a look at the under. And with Drexel, I set them as a five-point underdog, so need at least five and a half to take a shot on them. One to lay up to four and a half with Florida Gulf Coast. Now we go to the Cayman Islands. 633-634 on the betting board. Western Kentucky is going to be playing against Illinois State. Illinois State, I made a nine-point underdog. This is currently a game that is off the board, but with that said, I've got my numbers. Western Kentucky on my line is a nine-point favorite, and when it comes to this total, I set it at a 135. Illinois State has been playing at a very slow, methodical style ever since they had a new coaching staff come in and overhaul things just a little bit, so I do think that that needs to be taken into account. Western Kentucky is not necessarily looking to play overly slow, but when you've got someone like a seven foot five Jamarian Sharp out there, you're going to need to. And for Jamarian Sharp, a very pedestrian game yesterday as he had two points and really did not have much of an impact in that game against Akron. He was in a lot of foul trouble, so we shall see what his status is moving forward because it looked like he was a little bit banged up. And for Kendall Lewis, he's been able to do a nice job for Illinois State. He's been Mr. Do-It-All for this team with 15 points, just under... 
11 rebounds per game. He's able to give you a block per contest. Doesn't necessarily shoot it well from three-point range this season. Last season shot 35.5% from three-point range. And for Illinois State, that is a big thing for them. Getting the guards a little bit more involved. You've got Darius Burford and Luke Kazabuke. A pair of guys that are combined to be able to go out for about 20 points per game. Kazbuke has been able to shoot 46% from three. And all in all, Illinois State entered in yesterday shooting 35% from three. But the nearly 16 turnovers per game, that is very costly. As you don't have necessarily a main floor facilitator for the team. Meanwhile, with Western Kentucky, you know that the ball is going to be in the hands of Davion McKnight. As he's been able to give the team 14 points, 4.5 boards, 4.5 assists, 2 steals per game. They bring in Emmanuel Acott, who is a star at Boise State. A season ago, he's been able to do a nice job, give the team double figures at six foot eight last season. Shot thirty eight and a half percent from three point range on volume. He's been able to do a nice job of being able to spread the wealth as well. Christian Lander, Deontay Allen, a pair of guys that were very highly touted prospects but could never really take off for Lander at Indiana and for Allen at Kentucky. Have been able to combine for about 15 points per contest as well. Illinois State just does not have quite that firepower to be able to match up in this ordeal. So it is a spot in which I did set. The uh, Illinois State Redbirds as a nine-point underdog, so need at least nine and a half to take a shot on them. Eight and a half or less, one delay with the Hilltoppers of Western Kentucky, and semi total at a one thirty-five. So one thirty-four and a half, looking over, and one thirty-five and a half or higher, taking a look at this total under. As we go six thirty-five, six thirty-six on the betting board, it is Akron. They're playing against LSU. LSU is a team that on my line is a six-point favorite. It's another game that is off the board because these two teams played yesterday. But that said, with LSU, they did a nice job of holding things down against Illinois State yesterday. Granted, an Illinois State team that is far from prolific on offense, but I did like to see that, and with this LSU team, they bring in Matt McMahon, who was the coach at Murray State last season. He brings with him quite a few of the guys that made him successful, and LSU I think is going to be playing at that middle-ish tempo. They've got someone in Adam Miller I'd say we'll put the biscuit in the basket. He's averaging about 16 points per contest. Solid three-point shooter, but what I think is big for them is just having that low-post player in K.J. Williams who's going to be able to match up with Enrique Freeman. Enrique Freeman for Akron this season has been averaging a double-double 16.5 points, a little bit over 10 rebounds per game. Meanwhile, Williams at 6'10", he's able to let it fly from three-point range. Went out for 33 points, eight boards in that game against Illinois State. He, for the season, is shooting nearly 40% from three-point range. He's able to give you a little bit over a block per contest as well. He should be able to win that battle. And then Justice Hill versus Xavier Casaneda in the backcourt is fascinating because Casaneda has been that flamethrower scorer for Akron. 21.5 points per contest, shooting just below 40% from three-point range. And for Hill, he last season shot about 36% from three. This season has been a little bit more pedestrian. He's, he's been able to give the team more like 11, 10.5 points per contest, but he's doing a good job of being able to get other guys involved. For LSU, they bring in Derek Fountain, who is at Mississippi State. He's done a nice job on the glass. Now they've got back in the full Cam Hayes. He began his career at NC State. He's going to be able to give the team a little bit of a nice dynamic as well. Two seasons ago, was a mid-30 three-point shooter. You've got Trey Hannibal, who also followed Matt McMahon over from Murray State. And while Matt McMahon was at Murray State last season, they were in the top 25 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. I do think that LSU is essentially going to suck the life out of an Akron team that in 18 out of the last 19 games 
last season, they gave up 68 points or fewer in all of those games. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a defense-oriented battle. As a result, I did set LSU as a six-point favorite. We'll delay up to five and a half with them. Six and a half or more taking the points with Akron. And some at 132, so 131 and a half or less looking over 132 and a half or higher. Take a look at this total under. 637, 638 on the betting board. We head back to the Cayman Islands as this is going to be a matchup of Tulane versus Rhode Island. And with Rhode Island, I set them as a five and a half point underdog, so I need at least six to take a look at them. On my line, I did set this total at a 135 and a half. For Rhode Island, they actually do have some talented pieces. The problem is they're just trying to cobble everything together on the fly right now and just not really working out for them. That loss to Texas State was a little bit of a rough look for them and they got completely dropped by a good Kansas State team yesterday. The big key for this team, you've got to get Brayon Freeman online. Freeman last season while he was at George Washington, putting their 10.5 points, shot 43% from three. He had to miss a little bit of time earlier in the season. Was able to come out at 11 points off the bench yesterday. That's a little bit of a good sign, but you really don't have a lot of flow or facilitation with Rhode Island, with Rhode Island as well. The rebounding has been tough. They got 10 rebounds out of Brandon Weston yesterday, someone who began his career at Seton Hall, but Alex Ichuku, who comes in from Alabama, he just has not been able to develop for this team. And then you take a look at the other side and what you're able to get out of Tulane. And they're currently dealing with Jalen Cooks being out with an injury, but that said, Jalen Forbes is still an 18-point-per-game scorer. You've got Sion James, who's able to give you 4.5 boards, 3.5 assists. He's a very efficient player as well. You've also had Kevin Cross down low be able to give the team 7-plus rebounds per game. RJ McGee is able to pump in there a few threes. He does a nice job in the backcourt. I do think that this is just going to be a Rhode Island team that's going to be a bit overwhelmed in this scenario going up against a two-lane team that even without one of their main Jalen's have been able to do a solid job of being able to space out the floor, shooting as a collective over 80% of the free line. They turn the ball over fewer than 10 times for contest so they don't beat themselves as well. So it's an area where I'm willing to lay up to five with two-lane and when it comes to this total set at 135 and a half, so 136 or higher to the under, 135 or higher to the over Rhode Island. Very slow team, two-lane looking to play a little bit more up-tempo. 639, 640 on the betting board. Also out there in the Cayman Islands, you've got Kansas State and Nevada doing battle and with Nevada, I set them as a nine-point underdog. Really like what I'm seeing as, out of Kansas State. I need pretty much double figures slash a nine and a half with Nevada. Anything below that, I'm going to be one to lay with Kansas State. And did somebody told 139. Kansas State is a team that has really been able to get it going on offense. I really like the way that Jerome Tang, a former assistant at Baylor, has been able to take hold and has been able to do a good job with the team in general. As you've got Keontae Johnson, who he's pretty much going to be waiving his insurance policy because he's already played too many games. He's been able to do a nice job of be able to get online for this team. A little bit of a pedestrian game yesterday, 14 points, 5 rebounds, but overall, as they'll shoot in the high 30s from 3-point range at six foot six, provide all sorts of matchup issues, and then the guy that I really want to highlight here is Marquise Noel. He's able to give you about 11 points per contest, has been able to shoot it well from 3 this season, overall a mid-30 3-point shooter, but he's also doling out over 7 assists, he's getting 3-plus steals per game, he's not turning the ball over, he has been one of the most underrated point guards in all of America to this point, and they're going to be going up against a Nevada team in which they're dealing with Hunter McIntosh being out of the fold that does hurt them a little bit now bit of credit where credit is due. They've been able to have quite a few guys step up. Someone like Will Baker who's 7 feet tall. He's been able to can quite a few threes and be very judicious in the way that he's been taking those threes as well. That has been very nice to find for the team with Nevada as well. You've been able to have Jared Lucas step up. He was able to have a 13 and a half points per contest out in the Pac-12 last season so far this season. He's been able to do a solid job being able to give you 14 plus points per contest. Relatively solid shooter in general. Keenan 
Jacob Blackshear. He's coming off of a double-double yesterday. And KJ Himesalmo has been able to give you right around four and a half rebounds per game. Guys like Trey Pettigrew as freshman have been able to give a little bit of a spark of life for this team as well. But with that said, when it comes to the Nevada team, I did set them as a nine-point underdog. Need at least nine and a half with them. Eight and a half or less one delay with Kansas State and Nevada. A bit more of an up-tempo team. They've been embracing defense a tad bit more this season, but they don't necessarily generate a lot of seals. So made a total of 139, 138 and a half or less. Looking at the over 139 and a half or higher, I'm going to be taking a look at this total under. 641, 642 on the betting board. Northern Iowa is going to be playing against Grand Canyon as this is going to be another game that is off the board since these two teams played yesterday. But that said, in the great state of Missouri, I said Northern Iowa as the one and a half point favorite and I did make a total of 127.5. Grand Canyon's defense is very solid. We saw that on full display yesterday, but that said, with this Grand Canyon offense, they just need a little bit more out of someone like a Javon Blackshear. Last season gave the team 15 plus points per contest, was able to shoot 40% from three-point range as Currently, you've got a group that is shooting well below 30% from three-point range. It has been a complete reversal from what we saw a season ago, and they're going to be having to shut down a Northern Iowa team that they're looking to play a little bit more slowly this year as well. For Northern Iowa last two seasons, they kicked up the tempo a little bit more, but by and large, throughout the lifetime of Ben Jacobson being at Northern Iowa, they've always been a slow, controlled team. You've got Bowen Bourne along with Nathan Heisey. Both of these guys have done a solid job out in the backcourt. Heisey, though, you missed that game against San Francisco, so now it's on Bourne even more as he's been able to give the team about 17.5 points per contest. Northern Iowa as a whole, they're shooting about 30% from three-point range, so they're going to need to pick that up a little bit. This is also a Northern Iowa team that they don't necessarily have ideal size, so Ivan Odriogo along with Gabe McLaughlin are able to combine for about 14 to 15 rebounds per game. They should be able to have a solid run of it, but I do like what I'm seeing out of Tayton Anderson. He's been able to log a little bit over 10 rebounds per game as a 6'6", little bit of a do-it-all combo player. I don't think that that is going to be keeping up, but has been nice to be able to see that. And then for Northern Iowa, you've got good versatility in James Betts. Betts is a six foot six, do a little bit of everything sort of player that he's been able to pop threes and has been able to quite a few of them. Shooting over 40% from distance thus far this season, being able to take the load off of Bourne, I think is big. Now, with this Northern Iowa team, they don't necessarily have a lot of depth, but this is for Grand Canyon going to be a little bit of an early wake-up call as this is going to be for them local time, pretty much like a 9.30 tip because they're out there in the great state of Arizona. And when it comes to Grand Canyon, you just need a little bit of help in terms of facilitation for Javon Blackshear to help him out. He hasn't necessarily turned the ball over a lot, but he's got the ball in his hands towards the end of the shop clock. And other than Odriogo along with McLaughlin, you really don't have anyone else that's averaging more than four rebounds per game. You haven't been able to get as much as expected out of someone like a Josh Baker who comes in from UNLV, was a part-time starter for them last season. So I do take a look at this Grand Canyon team, and I think that they're in a little bit of a tricky spot. I think that it's going to be a low-scoring game. So 127 or less looking over, 128 or higher to the under. And said Northern Iowa as a very slim one-and-a-half point favorite. This is going to be essentially a game in which I'm probably going to be taking whoever is the underdog when it's all said and done with how short my line is. But made Northern Iowa that very, very slight favorite. 643-644 on the betting board. San Francisco and Wichita State to battle. Both of these teams played yesterday, so another game that is off the board. But San Francisco, I was willing to set them as a six-point favorite. A little bit of a body clock game for them yesterday. Now they are a little bit more acclimated, and this is going to be a bit of a later game. So I do think that that plays in the advantage of the Dons of San Francisco. And I do take a look at Wichita State. It was nice that they were able to get the job done yesterday against... 
Grand Canyon, but with Wichita State, they're still without Kobe Rogers, who was coming in from the MAC, was able to give the team double figures. So now it's been all really on the shoulders of two men and Craig Porter Jr. along Jaquan Walton. These two guys are combined to average just below 28 points per contest. Porter Jr. has been giving out a little bit over three assists per game for a team that really hasn't had a lot of flow. They're getting right around seven assists per contest. You don't necessarily have a ton down low. Kenny Foto, he's a six foot ten gentleman that has not really done a great job on the glass. So that's leaving a little bit of something to be desired. Now, they did get 14 points off the bench from Xavier Bell, who had been a disappointment prior to that. He had just four points in his first three games of the campaign. So it was nice to see that after at Drexel last season, he was a mid-33 point shooter, was able to pour in there double figures. And Isaiah Poubert Chandler, he's able to give you a little bit down low. But for the Dons, it's just all about can they hit their threes? Because entering into yesterday, it was a bunch of shooting sub-30% from three-point range. But you know that these guys are not going to stay down for long. You've got Khalil Shabazz and Tyrell Coates Roberts, a duo that was able to combine for 35 points. They went from three-point range 7 of 15 yesterday. And you do have good size down low. Vladimir Morkovsky doesn't necessarily see a lot of minutes, but if you need him, he's someone that is more than seven feet tall. He's able to clog things up down low. They've really been looking to Josh Coonan, who's been able to do a nice job. Six-footy combo player that's able to bury quite a few threes. And then you've also got Sabra Gibaria, who comes in from Georgia Tech. He is seven foot one, limited yesterday. So we did see a lot of Zane Meeks, who is a double-figure scorer. And a few seasons ago in Nevada, 2020-21 season, he was able to shoot 36% from three-point range. I do think that the versatility of San Francisco is going to be taking out out of Wichita State. I do think that Wichita State, they've got a little bit of a home court advantage because this is going to be played in the state of Missouri, not too far from their campus. So I do think that that plays into their hands a little bit. With that said, though, I did set this Don's team as a six-point favorite. So one to lay up to five and a half with them, six and a half or more, take the points with Wichita State. San Francisco looking to play a little bit more up-tempo. They're a bit of a higher-scoring team. Wichita State looking to play a bit more low and slow. So semi-total in the middle at a 141, 140.5 or less looking over 140, 1.5 looking at the under as we go 645, 646 on the betting board. Now we've got numbers once again as Northern Illinois is going to be playing against Sam Houston State. This is in the Palms Division over there at Suncoast Credit Union. And for Sam Houston State, they're an 11-point favorite. And your total on this game, it is 128.5. And... When it comes to our good friend Sam Houston State, I did set him as a 15-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it with the Bearcats. This is a Sam Houston State team that has looked very impressive to begin the season. They knock off Oklahoma to begin the campaign, and then they follow that up with a really good win over Utah. So this is a team that has battled Tessa going up against a Northern Illinois team that they began the year losing to non-D1 Springfield of Illinois. So this feels like a pretty big mismatch, as this is, by the way, out there in the great state of Florida for those that are wondering on that front. But for Northern Illinois, Illinois, you do have Keyshawn Williams. He last season was able to give the team 16.5 points per contest, shot 35% for three this season, 16.5 points per contest as well, but loses his main running mate in Trendon Hankerson, so as a result, they've had to bring in Zarek Nutter, who was a top 40 junior college transfer, according to JucoRecruiting.com. Began his career, I believe, with the Peacocks of St. Peter's, just never really got run there, and he's been able to give the team 15 points per game. Just someone that, at six foot six has had to become the main rebounder for this team, because they've got absolutely Absolutely no size whatsoever. Anthony Crump is able to give you five and a half boards, and this team is going to get pounded on the glass all season long. Sam used to say, it's not like they necessarily have 
ideal size either, but you do have a guy in Qua Grant who was a All-American at the D2 level two seasons ago. He has come in. He's been able to give the team 13 points, four boards, five assists, two seals. He just does it all. He did so at the D2 level. You've got down low a guy that's able to give you five and a half boards. And Kosai Izugi, he began his career at Kansas State, so he's been able to do a nice job contributing on that front end. You've been able to get a little bit of something when he's been out there from Giovanni Amajuru. He comes in as a six foot 10, 270 pound big man from England. Has been missing the last few games, so we shall see if he's out there. If not, you're going to be seeing a lot of Tristan Ikpe along Keon Scroggins who have been able to combine for nine rebounds per game and the guy that I look to get online for the team, Jaden Ray. Ray last season was able to give the team eight and a half points per contest. Was able to bury about 33% of the series. Has only been able to give the team six points per game and yet still they've been able to have this production for Northern Illinois. They have just been a very sad team on offense. They play at a very slow pace and Sam Houston State, they just pound you into oblivion. They're one of the slowest teams in terms of tempo in all of college basketball as well. So this is an ordeal in which I did set the Sam Houston State team as a 15-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it. Semi-tall at 129 as well. 128 I think is a little bit too low just because even though it's an early game, I think the Sam Houston State takes it to a Northern Illinois team that can't guard their own shadow at this point. So also going to be taking a look at this total over. 647, 648 on the betting board. It is South Dakota and they're going to be playing against Long Island out there in the great state of Florida as South Dakota is between a 14 to a 14 and a half point favorite. Totals between 150 and 150 and a half. When it comes to South Dakota, set them as a 10 and a half point favorite. So I'm going to be willing to take the points. Long Island, a team in a lot of transition right now. They had a coaching change very midstream as Rod Strickland, you may remember him from the NBA. He comes in to be able to coach up this team and now they have to go up against a South Dakota bunch in which they bring back A.J. Plyswood who missed all of last season, two seasons ago. He was one of the best major scorers in all of college basketball and he's looking to get back to his old form. He's been able to pump in their 16 points per contest. Currently shooting 61% for three. That's going to be seeing a little bit of regression but when he was out there two seasons ago and was fully healthy, he was shooting more around 42% from three-point range. Cruz, Petty, Hunt, along with Paul Bruns have been able to combine for 21.5 points per contest. Both are struggling from three, but South Dakota as a whole, they're shooting 32% for three. I expect that to go up just a tab, but the big question for this team, replacing the rebounding from a season ago, as Hunter Goodrick was able to give the team right in the neighborhood about 7.2 rebounds per game. Now you've got Damani Hayes, who's six foot four, leading the way on the glass. They just really don't have a lot of size other than Tazos Camatetos, who serves as a little bit more of a wing player. And then for this Long Island team, you've been able to get good production out of Keon Burns. Burns last season was a little bit of an afterthought for the team. He's had to play big minutes, and so far, so good. Nine and a half points, eight boards, 3.3 assists. He's been the matrix for this team, and that he is filling up every section of the stat sheet. Trey Wood has always been a guy that I've liked. Began his career at UMass, has been able to give the team 12 points per contest, has never been able to figure it out in terms of three-point shooting, and overall, Long Island, they're shooting 40% from three. That is going to be going downward. They've always had a tough time with turnovers, 18 turnovers per contest. They're a little bit of an unsightly team in that front, but they are also a team that they're going to look to really push the tempo, and they actually do a good job with a bunch of undersized guys on the class. Check 8 and die. He comes in after, I believe, that he began his career over with Charleston Southern, if I remember correctly. Might have been one of the non-D1 guys, but he's been able to give the team right around it's about seven points, few boards. He's been able to be nice and versatile for this team, and then been able to get an unexpected 16 points per game out of Marco Latechik. He has been very good for the team coming in from the non-D1 level, and he's been able to bury over 40% of his threes. I take a look at this South Dakota team. They've got a very, very suspect defense. They are missing their main big man from last season, and that should keep Long Island around and keep 
kicking in this game. So with Long Island, I'm willing to take the points. Good only set South Dakota as a 10.5 point favorite. And made my total 150.5. Long Island really looking to push your tempo. South Dakota, they turn down for nobody as well. So I'm going to be taking a look at this total over, and I'm going to be looking at the points. 649, 650 on the betting board. Eastern Michigan, they're going to be playing against Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne is a 5.5 point favorite, and your total on this game is 151 to 151.5. Another game that's happening out there in the great state of Florida. And with Fort Wayne, I did set them as a two-point favorite. So I'm going to be looking to take the points with Amani Bates. He's been able to do a nice job of taking hold of this offense. Someone that is shooting well above 35% from three-point range at right around six foot nine or so. Has been able to give this team well over 20 points per contest. It has been amazing to see. You need a little bit more down low for Eastern Michigan. But fortunately, they're going up against a Fort Wayne team in which they really don't have much down low other than Ari Kapati. Kapati has been able to chip in their eight boards. Only gives the team six half points per contest, but it's been a nice six foot nine post presence for this team. You've also got Jared Goffrey. He does it all 13 points, six half boards, five assists last season, more like 15 points, four and a half boards, and four assists. So he's been a solid three point shooter, and that's really the calling card for Fort Wayne. They're going to turn the ball over a little bit too much, and the reason why they have so many turnovers is that they're looking for that perfect three-point shot. They've been able to shoot 37% from three-point range. Bobby Plantis, 13.5 points, six boards. He stands right around six foot nine and is firing in their threes at a 45% clip. Deontay Billups, 11 points per contest. He's shot it well from three-point range. Quentin Morton Robinson missed off last season after coming in for Bradford. He's picking up right where he left off at Bradford two seasons ago. Shot 38% from three. He's currently shooting 57% from distance this season, so that has been helpful, but for Purdue-Fort Wayne, they're turning the ball over 16 times for contest. Eastern Michigan, not a team that is terrific at pickpocketing. They're able to get 7.5 seals per game. That's not great. That's not terrible, but Orlando Lovejoy has come in as a freshman. He's been able to give the team multiple seals. 9 points per game. Tyson Acuff, he was at Duquesne last season as a 40% 3-point shooter. He's been in a little bit more of a facilitation role for the team, and he's been able to do a nice job giving out 3 assists per game, and Noah Farrakhan will average 16 points per contest. He's given the team more more like 13 points per game. As long as someone like a Gerald Billingsley is able to do a halfway decent job down low, and I do think that he's going to be able to do so, I do think that you're going to see Eastern Michigan be able to hold in what I think is going to be a high-scoring game. I don't think that either team is going to be turning the other over, so I did set my total 152. I am looking over, and when it comes to Fort Wayne, could only make them a two-point favorite, so take the points with Eastern Michigan. 651, 652 on the banging board. Southern Miss and Winthrop do battle at Hard Rock Arena out in the great state of Florida, as it is Southern Miss who find themselves a two-and-a-half to a three-point underdog in your total on this game, staring between 139 and 139.5. With Southern Miss, I set them as a two-point underdog, so we'll want to take two or more with them. We were talking about the Southern Miss team quite a bit with their good friend Rocco Miller, and for Southern Miss, a big key for them, bringing in someone in Felipe Haas, who has very good size at six foot nine. He's able to bury right around 40% of his threes, so that has been just so instrumental for this team. They do lose some like a Whalen Napper, who was able to do a nice job doling out the ball last season, was registering in the neighborhood of about four assists per contest, but they've done a nice job of being able to replace that with someone like an Eptali Alvarez, so you've got a lot of good cogs for this team, and for Winthrop, you've got a nice team as well as you're going to be wanting to check in on the status of Mr. Corey Hightower as he's been able to give the team 12.5 points, 5.5 rebounds, 3.5 assists per contest, but he was missing when the team really needed him in their last game. I believe that that was a contest that was against Mercer. It seemed like that was a little bit more precautionary, but do check his status moving forward, and if he's out of the fold because I expect him to play, I would actually set Southern Miss as a very slight favorite. I think that he's worth 2 to 2.5 points to this line. You have been able to have 
Kelton Telford be able to do a nice job with 17 points, 9 boards. Not a guy that's going to be too stretchable for Winthrop, but he's sort of taking on that DJ Burns role. You've had Sincere McMahon chipping in there 13.5 points per game for Winthrop being that shooting 39.5% from 3-point range. And you do want to be able to get Harold Fleming Jr. online last season at Illinois State. He was able to do a nice job as a little bit of a microwave score. 6 points per contest, shot 40% from 3, shooting under 25% from 3, only about 4.5 points per contest. So, a little bit of a concern there. Winthrop is a team that's really looking to push their tempo. And Southern Miss, they're a little bit more of a controlled team. So, you're going to be seeing these two teams really looking to get their respective styles. And I do think that it is going to be a little bit more up-tempo. And I do think that you're going to be able to get a little bit of following in this game. So, I did set my total at a 142. I'm looking over and assuming that Hightower plays, I'm going to just take the points with Southern Miss. If Hightower is out of the fold, this becomes a money line play as I think that he's worth about two to two and a half points to the line. So, we're looking at Southern Miss, whether it be money line or spread, that is the question. And I'm looking at this total over. 653, 654 on the betting board. We head to uh, Hawaii as we've got the Maui Invitational between Texas Tech and Louisville. No numbers up on this game because these two teams played yesterday, but with Texas Tech, set them as a 14.5 point favorite against Louisville. For Louisville, you do have Al Ellis, who's been able to do a very solid job given the team 20 plus points per contest. Problem is, can someone, anyone else, give Al Ellis a little bit of help? You have Brendan Hundley. Hatfield, who down low has been trying to give the team versatility, but he had one more point than myself yesterday. Jalen Withers has been able to chip in there about four and a half or so rebounds per game, but man, this is just a really sad group. They're looking for any sort of an infusion of a spark. J.J. Trainer, maybe he's going to be able to provide that. He's been with this Louisville team for quite some time as he was able to come in off the bench one four or five from the floor, but boy, this is a Louisville team that they just don't have a lot of talent in. I will say this, about Texas Tech. They are a team that doesn't necessarily have supreme three-point shooting right now. I was expecting a little bit more from some of the transfer pieces that they brought in. Now, Davion Harmon has done a nice job of just running things in terms of the Texas Tech offense as he's been able to give the team double figures. He chips in there a few assists, but Fardos Amek, someone who's six foot eleven, was able to bury threes being out of the fold. That just has hurt the Texas Tech team in the interim. You do have Kevin O'Banner, who was a very good three-point shooter while he's at Oral Roberts. He's sort of changed his game a little bit. Nice double-figure score for the team. He's able to give you five-plus rebounds per game, but they could really use someone like a Kerwin Walton, who two seasons ago was at North Carolina, shot 42% from three to be able to channel that as he's been averaging right around five points per contest. Has not been able to drill threes, but Daniel Pacho should be able to just eat things up down low. He's right now averaging in the pocket of about 10 to 11 points per contest. He's giving you seven boards per game. There's just no way that this team is going to be able to match up with that. And Jalen Tyson has been able to do a nice job chipping in their nine points right around four rebounds per game. Texas Tech has much more depth than Louisville. Louisville is just as down as down can be. So this is a scenario in which I'm going to be willing to play up to 14 points with Texas Tech and what I think is going to be a pretty low scoring game as I did set my total in this scenario at a 129, so 128 and a half or less. Looking at the over 129 and a half or higher to the under, and I would need at least 15 points to fire in on Louisville. 655, 656 on the betting board. You got Arkansas and Creighton doing battle. This is a game that also has no numbers currently up, but with that said, I did set Creighton as a two and a half point favorite, so I want to lay up to two with them, and I did make my total a 144 and a half. I do think that we're going to see Arkansas be able to push the tempo. I just don't know how many points they're going to be able to get. Ryan Kalkbrenner was down a little bit due to injury, but was able to return 
Warren late in that game, and I like what I'm seeing out of the seven foot one gentleman who was able to give the team multiple blocks for contest last season. And with Arkansas, they do have the Mitchell brothers who do a tremendous job down low. They're able to give you some good rebounding. And for Arkansas, three point shooting is never going to be the forte of this team. They went eight of 22 yesterday, and that's above average for them, in my opinion. As you had a nine of 11 shooting performance from Anthony Black, I don't know if he's going to be able to necessarily duplicate that when Nick Smith is in there towards ACC season. That is going to make them a little bit more whole, but I do look for Trayvon Brazil. It was limited to 1.2 to foul trouble yesterday, and I think that he's going to be a key in this game. At 6'10", he's been able to bury 40% of his threes. Prior to yesterday, was averaging 14 points, 10 rebounds per contest. You've been able to have some good production as well out of Ricky Council the fourth, who comes in from Wichita State. Been able to chip in there 18 points per game for Arkansas. A bunch that is going to turn the ball over a little bit too much, but that said, they also do a great job of forcing their own turnovers, and I think that that's going to be a key for speeding up this Creighton team, as Creighton, prior to the game against Texas Tech, has been able to do an amazing job of just taking care of the ball in general. With Creighton, they entered having turned the ball over fewer than 10 times for contest, still just 13 turnovers in the game that we saw yesterday, and Ryan Nemart has really been able to rectify that. Over three turnovers per contest last season so far this year, he's been turning the ball over less than one time per game. Baylor Shireman, he had a double-double in their game yesterday. He's been able to give the team nine rebounds per game. 6'7", Cabo player that last season shot over 40% from three-point range. Fran Farabello is able to give you a little bit of leadership off the bench as well. And then Trey Alexander, Arthur Kaluma, pair of guys that had 35 points yesterday. They are really going to be menaces against this Arkansas team. With Arkansas, if this were a game that was played a little bit later on during the season, I probably would be willing to side with them. Unfortunately, this is a game that is being played out in November. Arkansas, lots of moving pieces, lots of freshmen coming in, so it's a scenario in which I do set Creighton as a two and a half point favorite, one to lay up to two with them. Three or more taking the points with Arkansas. It's at my total, 144 and a half, 144 or less, looking over 145 or higher to the under. 657, 658 on the betting board. I am sort of figuring that we are going to be getting Ohio State playing up against Cincinnati in this one. This is very much subject to change, so these next two, you do want to be noting that, but with that said, if we do get Ohio State going up against Cincinnati, I'd be willing to set Ohio State more in the neighborhood about a four and a half to a five point favorite. I'm having to record this before the Cincinnati game. So this is a pair of games in which the numbers are subject to a little bit of change, but with that said, if you do get this game, I'd probably be setting the total relatively close to what we had in terms of Ohio State versus San Diego State before the team came in. So very low, high 130s, very low 140s, probably right in that neighborhood of about a 140 or so. Like what I've been seeing out of Bryce Sensabaugh for Iowa State. He entered into yesterday, give the team 17 points, five and a half boards, shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range, and then when it comes to the flip side for Cincinnati, you do bring in some guys that are able to do a nice job in the backcourt. I mean, you don't want to be poo-pooing what you've been able to get out of someone like Landers and all. He's able to give you 15-plus points per contest. The loss that they took about a week or so ago against Northern Kentucky as was not necessarily so savory, but you've got Odia Guamo who's able to give you something down low. Victor Layen, he's been able to give you 9-plus rebounds per game. He's going to have his hands full against someone like a Zed Key, but that said, with Ohio State, they sometimes can be a little bit soft on defense, and with Cincinnati, it is going to be a team that's probably going to be a tad bit tired coming off of a game against an Arizona team that entered into Monday number one in terms 
terms of just total possessions. This is a Cincinnati team that they're looking to slow things down. They do a nice job of controlling the ball, giving out only about 10 turnovers per game. They've got Kalu Azikpe down low. is able to give you a few rebounds per game as well. So they've got all sorts of weapons. Ohio State, they do have someone in Sean McNeil who's also able to bomb it from three-point range. So a scenario where I'd be setting this sort of, like I said, very, very high 130s, perhaps a 140 with Ohio State. I'm leaning towards them being between about a four to a five-point favorite, depending upon what we see there. And then if you do get Arizona versus San Diego State, I'd be setting this total more in the high 140s. San Diego State has actually been playing significantly faster this year. They're still very solid on defense, but with Arizona, I do think that their offense would be able to win out in this scenario. I'd be setting Arizona, once again, more around about a five, five and a half point favorite, depending upon how both of these teams look in the nightcap in Maui. But with Arizona, you guys just got so many weapons. When it comes to this team, Nathan Mensa would be able to provide quite a bit for Azula Sabellis. And obviously, if we don't get these matchups, probably back to the drawing board there. Arizona would probably be a little bit more of a favorite against, say, a... Ohio State, and then I do think that if you get the San Diego State versus Cincinnati matchup, I do think that you'd be setting San Diego State probably as about the same size of a favorite as you did against Ohio State, perhaps even a little bit more there, so do note that, but for Arizona, you've got Umar Ballo along with Zula Sabels, who've been able to combine for 17 rebounds, 37 points per contest entering into yesterday, and it's an Arizona team that they're bombing at 46.5% from three-point range. San Diego State is a team that's able to be a little bit of a neutralizer in terms of guarding that three-point arc. You've been able to have Cedric Henderson Jr., be a little bit of a Swiss Army knife guy, give you nine points, four boards, an assist or two per game. Pavey Larson is someone that a few seasons ago at Utah shot over 40% from three-point range. And Kirk Carissa giving out eight assists. He has been loose with the turnovers. Arizona going into yesterday, averaging 20 turnovers per contest, but still hasn't necessarily slowed them down. So I do take a look at this spot. And if you do get Arizona going up against San Diego State, setting in that total probably closer to about 148 or so, give or take just a smidge, and I'd be setting Arizona between a 5 and 5.5 five and point favorite, depending upon how they look at Lahaina Civic Center, 661, 662 on the betting board. You've got yourself a battle out there in the great state of Florida between South Florida and St. Joe's. Currently no numbers up on this game, but I did set St. Joe's as a 1.5 point favorite with a total of 125.5. St. Joe's coming off of a no good, very bad, terrible game that we saw against Georgia where they could get absolutely nothing generated. Meanwhile, you've got a South Florida team that they very much are solid on defense. They actually didn't do the world's worst job against UAB. For the offense, it is very, very pedestrian at this point for South Florida. You do have one guy that I actually look to that I think is very solid. Tyler Harris, he was able to put in there 22 points yesterday, but he came into a South Florida team that was dead last in terms of three-point shooting percentage last season. They entered into yesterday shooting as collective about 25 percent from three-point range. Yeah, Celta Miguel, Jameer Chaplin, they're able to give you about eight and a half points per game. And Russell Tewa, he's able to give you about six and a half rebounds per game for St. Joe's. I do think that they've got the advantage in terms of the backcourt in the front court. They probably are going to have a little bit of a tough time with Chewa down low, but what I think is going to be a little bit of a difference maker for St. Joe's is that you do have one guy that's able to take over a game as going into yesterday, Eric Reynolds II was able to register 23 points per contest. Not someone that's going to give you a bunch of assists or anything like that, but someone that is able to do a nice job of generating a few steals as well. Lindy Greer who comes in from Duquesne. He's been able to do a solid job. Nine and a half points, four and a half assists. It is a St. Joe's team that they get loose with the ball. 17 and a half turnovers per game. South Florida, they do a 
good job of coming up with steals. They themselves have a tough time coming up with it as well. I think that this is going to be a sloppy, all-over-the-place game. I award South Florida a little bit due to home court advantage, but I do think that St. Joe's, they just have a little bit more talent on the roster in general. So with St. Joe's, we'll be willing to set them as a one-and-a-half point favorite as of right now. And let's just settle, set it at a 125.5. So we need 125 or lower to look at the over. Otherwise, it's an under end with St. Joe's. As long as they are any sort of an underdog willing to play them with South Florida, two or more, going to take a shot on them. 663, 664 on the betting board. It is UAB. They're going to be taking on Georgia. Georgia on my line because no numbers are currently up. I set them as a nine-point underdog UAB. They got the job done against South Florida. Wasn't necessarily sexy. And for Georgia, I actually like some of the upside that you're seeing with this team. You've got down low, someone that stands right around six foot nine, six foot ten, and Frank Anselm, who's able to give you four and a half rebounds per game. Carol Quendo, along with Terry Roberts, have been able to combine for about twenty-eight points per contest. Roberts is able to give out four assists, two and a half steals per game. So there's quite a bit there. And then Justin Hill, who was the top scorer at Longwood last season, has been able to do a solid job being able to give you eight or so points per contest. With UAB, they just come at you with waves upon waves. You've got Jelly Walker who was able to put in there twenty points per contest last season. He's been shooting very well from three point range. This is a UAB bunch that they're just absolutely playing with their hair on fire. Did set my toe at 153 as a result. Georgia's actually been playing at a little bit more of a slow tempo, but I do think that they're going to be, be getting sped up. This is a Georgia team that they have a little bit of a tough time hanging on to the ball. But with that said, because you do have UAB playing at such a high tempo, they themselves have a little bit of a tough time of being able to hold on to the ball. Trey Jemison, the seven-footer, is a nice eraser down low. He should be able to do a good job against the likes of Frank Anselm and company with UAB. You've also got the Brewer brothers at, at six foot seven six foot eight they've got good versatility but on top of that with UAB Eric Gaines who comes up from LSU he's been able to do a nice job ripping the ball away getting right around two and a half seals per game UAB as a collective they get 11 seals per contest shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range Davion Lovin has been able to do a nice job giving you nine points per game KJ Buffin right around nine rebounds per contest as well so a scenario in which I did set UAB as a nine-point favorite one to lay up to eight and a half with them pretty much nine and a half slash double figures one take the points with Georgia it's up by 12 153 152 and a half for less looking over 153 and a half or I are looking at the under 665, 666 on the betting board. You got Bradley, and they are going to be playing up against Auburn. And Auburn is an 11.5 point favorite with a total on this game at 139.5. This is happening out there in Riviera Maya, Mexico. And when it comes to Auburn, I did set them as an 11.5 point favorite. I know that Rocco is talking about perhaps a little bit of dysfunction happening with Auburn. I'm not necessarily overly concerned about that. I just think that this is getting to be a little bit too bloated of a number. I'm willing to take 12 or more when it comes to Bradley. Bradley currently without their main versatile big man in rake mass, but you've got just Sean Henry, who's been solid for the team. 13 points, 6 boards, a guy that's able to pop some threes, has never been great at that throughout his career, as a 6'6 six six combo player, but that said, I do think that he's going to be able to have a solid performance against a Auburn team that they're looking at GM and I, Broom, to clean things up down low for Broom. He's been able to get the team 11 points, 9 boards, 3 blocks per contest while he was at more at State last season. Was able to generate more like 4 blocks per game, and I like what I've seen in terms of Chris Moore, he's guy that has been able to take off after being a little bit of an afterthought the last few seasons and half points per contest out of him, but who's going to be able to step up and help out Wendell Green in the backward? Green has been very good for Auburn this season. 14 points, 4 boards, 4 assists, shooting in the mid-30s from 3-point range for an Auburn team that they're shooting 65% of the free line, 25% from 3-point range. You know what fans are butts about it? They're missing Jabari Smith, who's really able to take the load off and sort of be a deodorant for what was not necessarily a great backcourt now. What I will say for Auburn is that after towards the beginning part of the career of Bruce Pearl, they were really relying upon 
good guards. They've been doing a much better job in terms of being able to play defense, in terms of not relying upon the three ball. But for Bradley, you do have someone like a Duke Dean who I like. He's able to give you 10 points. Three assists was a main facilitator at Troy last season. Malavy Kings of Leon. He's able to shoot 40% from three, 11 points, seven boards. Bradley overall shoots about 36% from three-point range. And to their credit, they generate nine steals per game. They only have been turning the ball over 10 times for contests as well. Even though they don't necessarily have that one guy that's going to dole out like a whole bunch of assists. That is big. Now, they're probably going to be missing Connor Aikman as well. This is attributed to the line. If he were to be in, I'd probably be willing to set this more around a 10. I do think that he's worth about a point or so to the line, but Hickman, someone who last season shot 37.5% from three, chipped in there seven points per game for Bradley. Him being out of the fold, that does hurt them a little bit, but with that said, this is a Bradley bunch. I did set uh, current numbers at an 11.5 point underdog, so 12 or more, I'm going to be willing to take a shot on them. And when it comes to this total, I did set it at a 139.5, so seeing this currently at a 140, I'd be willing to take a look at the under. Seems like we might be getting this going downward, so if this goes down to like a 139, 138.5, we'll be willing to go on the over as well as I'm in a little bit of wait and see mode myself. 667, 668 on the betting board. It is Northwestern, and they are going to be playing against Liberty. Liberty is between a three and a four point underdog in your tallest game. Sorry, between 131 and 132.5. And, and when it comes to Northwestern, I did set them as a underdog in this scenario, so I'm going to be taking a look at Liberty outright. With Liberty, they're going to have the best player out there on the floor. That'd be Darius McGee. McGee last season was pumping in there right in the neighborhood of about 24 points per contest. A guy that's able to go into flamethrower mode from three-point range last season, shot 39% for three. 40% this season, he was able to give the team a combined 56 points in their last two games. Had a little bit of a struggle against Alabama. A lot of guys are going to do so, but he really is a linchpin of a Liberty team that they don't necessarily play too fast. They're very under control. A lot of guys that just know their role, get the ball to McGee like a Joseph Van Sant, who's been able to give the team 7.5 points, 6.5 rebounds per game. Liberty as a whole, they're shooting from three-point range, 36% for three, 77% at the free throw line. They need to tone down the turnovers a little bit, but I do like Kyle Rode. He's someone that stands in the neighborhood about 6 foot 7. He's able to be a little bit of a point forward. Last season, 9 points, 4.5 boards, 4 assists, shot 42.5% from three-point range. And then for Northwestern, you've got Chase Odige, who last season shot 25% from three. He's up to 30% this season. He's been a bit better for this team. You don't necessarily have supreme low post play as it's been Robbie Barron, who's been able to give the team 13 half points, seven rebounds per game. And for Northwestern, they come in unblemished. Their best win right now is against Georgetown. They played a tight game against Purdue-Fort Wayne. I've got my question marks on that front. Boo-Booey, 17 points, five and a half assists. He's been shooting 46% from three. And to the credit of Northwestern last season, in terms of turnovers on a per-possession basis, was one of the best teams in all of college basketball, being able to take care of the ball. I did think that in this little bit of a new day and age for them, that is not necessarily going to be the same as they've been turning the ball over right around 13 times for contests. And they have yet to play against some of the best competition that they are going to be facing all season long. So I do think that we're going to see a little bit of reversal there. I do think the Liberty is going to do a nice job protecting the ball against a Northwestern team that they don't necessarily do a great job of being a pickpocket. I think that this is going to be a little bit of a slow down game, but Northwestern, not a team that does a great job of being able to guard the arc. That's where Liberty can hurt you. So I think it's a bad matchup in this scenario for Northwestern. I'm going to be willing to take Liberty outright, set them as a two and a half point favorite and semi total at a 134 and a half. So looking at the over 673, 674 on the betting board. It is Pacific and they are going to be playing us to Mount St. Mary's. This is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board is Pacific between a four and a four and a half point favorite. Dallas game is there between 145 
145.5 and 146.5 with the mount. I set them as a 9-point underdog. Pacific, after they went 4-22 and 2 against the spread last season, they went 3-1 and this season. They've been able to really improve as they've done a nice job bringing in some cards that you can actually get excited about. Pacific has a guy in Jordan, Ivy Curry, who comes in after he was able to deliver 18.5 points per contest. Whereas at UT San Antonio, got a pair of guys that come in via the transfer portal and Tyler Beard and Donovan Williams. Williams was at Oklahoma State last season, and you had Beard over at Georgetown. These two guys are combined for about 23 points per contest. Pacific has a whole shooting 40% from three. I see a little bit of regression coming there. Luke Andovich shooting 71% from three. Now, he's able to shoot 40-plus percent from three-point range with solid when he came in from Northern Arizona, but that said, with Pacific, big question mark that you do have with the team is rebounding. You've only got one player that's giving you more than four rebounds per game, and that would be Sam Freeman, as he's been a six foot ten, just a little bit of a designated guy on on the block in general. And for the Mount, you do have someone in Malik Jefferson who's been good down low. 11 points, 9 boards, a little bit over a block per game. Jalen Benjamin has been solid. 19 points, Three and a half boards, six assists per game for a Mount St. Mary's team that is actually playing remarkably faster this season. I don't know how long lasting that's going to be, but for the Mount, they traditionally are a bottom 75 team in terms of tempo. They're ranking right now in the top 100 in terms of total possessions per game, so something to take note of. They brought in George Shinsley, who was at Binghamton a few seasons ago, six points, six half rebounds per game. He's really showing the good form they had when he was able to put in their 12 points per contest as a freshman since then, has had his struggles. But you've got to have Josh Reeves and DeAndre Thomas be able to pick it up a little bit. Thomas last season at 7 points per game, shot 40% per 3. He's shooting 25% per distance. Reeves has only been able to give you right around 5 points per contest after he was a bit better last season as well. Before the mound, they do have pieces in the backcourt. That said, I do think that they are probably going to be looking to slow down a little bit. Pacific, they've been playing at a really burner pace as well, but a lot of that in terms of total possessions per game is just due to the fact that they have played some overtime, so that is a little bit of an overinflated number in my opinion. I do take a look at this specific team, and I do think that they're going to be able to take it to the mound. Might have a little bit of a tough time down low, but I do think that their guard play going to be able to win out, willing to lay up to nine with Pacific's up by total 143, so diving under as well. Now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. This starts with 306-551, 306-552, Sacred Heart is going to be playing against NJIT. New Jersey Technical is between a 7.5 and an 8.5 point underdog. Dallas game is anywhere between 138.5 and 139, and with NJIT I set them as an 8.5 point underdog, so I'm going to be willing to lay the 7.5 with Sacred Heart. Sacred Heart is looking to go back into the Scorched Earth mode that they had a few seasons ago under Anthony Latina, and they've been able to get good production out of Nico Galetti along with Bryce Johnson. These two guys are combined for just under 14 rebounds per game. Galetti has been able to give you 16 points per game. Bryce Johnson has been able to give you more like 10 points per contest, and then with NJIT, they just need to find that number 2 score to Miles Coleman. Coleman has been pretty terrific with 17 points per game. Last season was able to give the team 5.5 boards per contest, and He's been able to duplicate that this season as you've had Kevin Osawi along with Solomon Nuiakite being able to combine for about 14.5 rebounds per game. But other than Raheem Sullivan, who he came in from Maris last season where he was able to shoot it at about 42.5% from three with eight points per contest, you really don't have threats from the outside. They're shooting as a collector 26% from three, 59% at the free throw line. I do think that that is going to be going a little bit northward, but you're looking at someone like a Makai Gray to really lift this team after he last season at 7.5 points per game this season. He's down to 4.5 points per contest.
Davis and JIT just not able to match up in the backcourt. And with NJIT, they have just been held down in general on their offense. 64 points or fewer in all four of their games this season. Sacred Heart, they're looking to play a little bit up-tempo, but we saw a heartbeat from the defense. They gave up just 60 points to Binghamton in their last game. Did something total 142.5. I think that it is going to be picked up a little bit more in terms of tempo. And I do think that NJIT going to see positive progression in terms of their scoring. So going to be willing to lay up to eight here with Sacred Heart. And when it comes to the total, going to be taking a look at the over. 306-553, 306-554. Holy Cross in Illinois, Chicago do battle on the campus of Fordham. Holy Cross is a three and a half point underdog. Your total on this game is 143.5. And, and when it comes to UIC, I did set them as a five point favorite. UIC lost to Mary of Franklin just before the season. That was their top player in terms of both points and rebounds. And for Holy Cross, they had a tough battle yesterday. They were down 36-12, and I'm not even kidding on that score at halftime, but they were able to fight their way back in that game against Fordham. You give a little bit of credit where credit is due, as Jerome Gates is actually very good down low for the team. He has been able to average darn near a double-double this season, as he's given the team just under 20 points per contest, able to haul in there nearly 8 rebounds per game, and Bo Montgomery has been good from the outside. He's been able to chip in their double-figure amount of points. Yesterday was entering into that game, shooting 40% from 3-point range, but all about what you're able to get out of Jod Tise, who comes in after he was a starter at Houston Christian last season and was able to pump in there seven points per contest. Not a great three-point shooter, but able to give a little bit of flow and Joseph Octave. But for UIC, I just feel like they've got a little bit more size down low, and that is really going to be able to win out in this spot with UIC losing all that they did itself. But Jace Carter has been able to give the team darn near six rebounds per game. UIC also has few guys in the backcourt that are still able to do an okay job of being able to pop threes, so that is going to be hurting a Holy Cross team that they're one of the worst in all of college basketball at being able to guard the three-point arc, and for UIC, what else I think is just very important is Ravante Anderson not turning the ball over. Comes in from Idaho last season where he was able to give the team 14.5 points, 5 boards, 3.5 assists per game, but also turned the ball over 3.5 times per contest thus far this season. He's been able to give the team about 14.5 points per game. Has been doling out those assists, but has still had a little bit of a tough time with the turnovers. Fortunately, Holy Cross not a great turnover team, so I did set my total at 135. UIC, they've got Luke Yachlidge, a very good defensive mastermind, and Holy Cross, well, they don't have a lot of shooting on their team outside of Montgomery so it's a scenario in which I'm going to be taking a look at this old owner and willing to lay up to 4.5 with UIC 3 at 6.555, 3 at 6.556, and a 6 a and Corpus Christi. They're going to be playing against Cal State Bakersfield on the campus of UTEP, and with Bakersfield, meet me for the Roadrunners. They are anywhere between a 5.5 and a 6-point underdog. Goals anywhere between 128 and 128.5 with Corpus Christi. Set them as an 8.5-point favorite. This is in their home state, so that is much easier in terms of travel on them rather than our good friends in Bakersfield and for Cal State Bakersfield. They always are a team in which a hole is greater than the sum of its parts, which sometimes can work out when you've actually got halfway decent parts. Problem is, they really don't have anyone that is able to do a solid job for this team. You've got someone like Kale Vegans who gave the team double figures last season, but they leave a lot to be desired. And then you've got Isaac Mushila, who for this Texas A&M Corpus Christi team is currently averaging 15 points, 11 boards per contest. He's able to shoot in the mid-30s from three-point range while being able to generate a little bit over TCLs per game. And for Texas A&M Corpus Christi, they just do a great job of generating those turnovers, getting nearly 12 steals per game with 3.5 coming from Perry on Purdue, who's been able to give you 10 points, nearly 5 assists per game. you got a guy that is able to give you right around 12 points per contest in Travion Tennyson, who last season shot 37%. From three-point range, and when it comes to this Bakersfield team, they do have Modestus Concleris to be able to match up with a little bit of versatility. He was a very highly touted top 150 
recruit a few seasons ago that began his career at Crane, couldn't find the floor at Crane, and also dealt with an ACL injury as well. He's been able to come in, give the team six points, seven boards, has yet to be able to show off versatility, but for Bakersfield, not necessarily having a lot of size down low to take advantage of that big issue that you do have with Texas A&M Corpus Christi. That's a big, giant issue, and we just don't have anything in terms of being able to help facilitate the offense other than Higgins. That does make it very, very difficult. Bakersfield, one of the slowest teams that you're going to find in all of college basketball, banging their head on just being the whole, being greater than the sum of its parts and everything like that. I did set my total at a 138, though, because with Texas A&M Corpus Christi, they do a nice job of pumping up the offense. I do think that they're going to be able to force Bakersfield into some bad turnovers, and that'll lead to some easy break opportunities. So I did set this total at a 138, looking over and with Corpus Christi, one to lay up to eight and a half with them. 306-558. It is North Alabama, and they're going to be playing as Hampton. This is from the Thunderdome out there in the great state of California, North Alabama. A one and a half point favorite, and your total last game is 147. I said North Alabama is a four and a half point favorite, and typically I'd be rather online with this one and a half point line, but the reason why I did have to shade down Hampton is that they had to play a game that dipped off at 6 o'clock p.m. Pacific time yesterday. Now they're playing pretty much at noon Pacific time today against a North Alabama team that didn't have to play yesterday. That is a big, giant rest disadvantage for this Hampton team, and that is not too terrific for them now. North Alabama coming off of a loss against Mississippi Valley State. That is far from terrific, but what is terrific is Daniel Ortiz. He's been able to do a good job giving the team 18 points per contest. He's been able to dole out a few assists per game, and from three-point range last season, shot in the neighborhood about 34.5% from distance. He's shooting 50% this season. I expect a little bit of cool down, but for Hampton, got a lot of question marks when it comes to this offense, as you've got Jordan Nesbitt, who enters from St. Louis, where last year he was a starter. He was able to pump in there about eight points, four rebounds per game, not like he was a tremendous three-point shooter or anything like that, but he was able to help the team out. They've been really looking to someone like a Marcus Godwin, who last season was able to give the team eight points per contest this year. He's been able to put in there 14 points per game, take a little bit of pressure off of Russell Dean, who last season was the main facilitator for this team. But when it comes to Hampton, just a little bit of a broken down team that really doesn't have a lot down low. It's not like North Alabama is supreme in terms of their post presence as well. But you do have someone like a Damani Forrest who's able to give you about six or so rebounds per game. That should be enough for North Alabama in this game and just in general. I do think that it's going to be tough for Hampton. Just imagine playing a game at 6 o'clock p.m. Pacific time, and then you have to turn around and play at noon the next day. I mean, this is like AAU ball right here for these guys. Meanwhile, they're going against a very well-rested North Alabama team that hasn't played since the weekend. So that is a big part of the handicap, in my opinion. So as a result, I do have North Alabama as a four and a half point favorite. I'm willing to lay the small number here. And did semi total 146 half. So you're at the 147. I do think the tired legs takes a little bit of a hole because you do have actually two rather up-tempo teams. But I'm willing to go under just based on the fact that you've got a Hampton team that has been going on really no rest whatsoever. 306, 559, 306, 560. You've got Vermont, and they're going to be playing against Yale. Yale, the home team, is a two-point favorite. Total on this game is 132, and guess what? I've got this flipper Rooney with Vermont. was just expecting Dylan Penn to be able to deliver a little bit more. I think that towards the back half of the season, he's going to be much more solid because he comes in as a transfer from Bellarmine, and Vermont really doesn't bring in a ton of transfers. I know that they've done it with a few of their shooters, like a Cameron Gibson, but they haven't necessarily done it in terms of a guy that has the ball in his hands a lot, like a Dylan Penn, and thus far, he just hasn't necessarily been able to do what you'd anticipate. He's had 14 points per contest, but why is that Bellarmine? Five assists, four rebounds per game, and 
Thus far, he's had more like two assists per game as the offense has looked a little bit disjointed for this Vermont team. They've had a lot of tough battles, but they've started out one of four. Meanwhile, with Yale, they've been able to get a lot of outright wins. Granted, not necessarily against the world's greatest competition, but I think the most dominant low post player in this game is going to be Matt Noling. I know that he's able to give the team 20 points per contest. Currently shooting 43% from three as a 6'6", little bit of a combo player. And the big question for Yale is, who's going to be facilitating the season with so many guys out of the fold? Bez Mabeng has been able to come in and has been that guy. Not much of a scorer, right around three and a half points per game, but four boards, 4.8 assists. He's just done a nice job of being able to give this offense a little bit of flow. Six plus assists in three of the team's five games this season. He's just a guy that really knows his role out there on the floor. EJ Jarvis, along with Isaiah Kelly, maybe able to combine for eight rebounds per game down low, and I do expect a little bit more out of Yusuf Basa Ama, who was a relatively highly touted guy that last season didn't see a lot of minutes. Now he's given them right around six half points per game. You've got a little bit more depth, in my opinion, with this Yale team. You do have Robin Duncan still on campus for this Vermont team, Mr. Do It All, with right around five points, but six half boards, two and a half assists per contest, and Finn Sullivan. He's been able to register 10 points per game. Vermont, more of a low 33 point shooting team. They lost a lot of their good three point shooting from last season, but I do think that with Penn now being able to just work his way into the offense, because with being out for much of the offseason due to that broken hand, I think that now they're going to be able to get online a little bit more, and I think that that is just such a big X factor for them. With Vermont, they have been very close in a lot of these games. I mentioned the fact that they're 1-4, and four, but I mean, you lose on the road by two points against USC. That's not a shameful loss. You have a tough one against Iona and for Yale. They've just beaten up on a lot of bad teams. I do think that Vermont is going to be a rise up in this spot, so as a result, I've got Vermont as a two-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them as a money line underdog. Set my total at a 134 as well, so going to be willing to go to the over because I do think that I'm going to see some late game felling. 306-561-306-562 is Jackson State, and they are going to be playing us Elon. Elon is a 7.5 to an 8.5 point underdog. The last game is anywhere team 141.5 and 142, and with Elon, I did set them as a 9 point underdog with Jacksonville State. Like what I'm seeing in terms of this team's three-point shooting. Now, they are going to need to get a little bit more in terms of rebounding, but they are also going up against an Elon team that has breadth of a lot of size, so that is not going to be hurting them in this game. Elon, they lose the Hunters and Hunter Woods and Hunter McIntosh from last season, so that really puts them in a tricky spot. As It's been all about Torrance Watson this season. Watson, 13 points, 6 boards, 2 assists, has been able to shoot in the low 30s from three-point range, but leaves a little bit of something to be desired, especially with this team having him as their top rebounder. You've got, meanwhile, Javon Perdue on the other side for Jacksonville State, and he's not a Perdon't. He is a doer who's been able to give the team seven rebounds per game down low. Provides a solid six foot six frame. He's got quite a bit of muscle, so that helps out a Jacksonville State team in which you've got a lot of shooters just on this team in general. Last season, they were in the top 30 in terms of three point shooting percentage, and right now they're shooting as a collective 40% from distance as they bring in Peyton Daniels, who was at Vanderbilt last season, had his season cut short due to injury, a highly touted top 200 guy who has been able to do a nice job. Give the team right around three and a half assists, good on ball defender, not necessarily a guy that's going to go off and give you a lot of scoring, but that's why you've got combo player in Amanzi Ungunzi. He comes in from, I believe it was the SEC in Georgia, and he last season gave the team nine points per contest, shot 40% from three, and he's been able to up his scoring a little bit more to 13 points per game, and then Skylar Potter was a part of that more at state team that made the NCAA tournament a few seasons ago. He last season at 10.5 points per contest, shot about 34% from three. He's right now shooting about 53% from three on volume, nearly six threes per contest, giving you 13 points per game. You have some nice versatility as well, and Damari King, who's been able to give you 12.5 points per contest, 
shot just last year. Shot 45% from three. Part range, Jacksonville State able to bomb it from three. Elon very bad with their perimeter defense. A team that they themselves shoot about 30% from three. Part range. They have darn near nothing down low. And Zach Irvin, he's having to be Mr. Do-It-All out there in the backcourt with right around nine and a half points per contest. And he doesn't necessarily have a lot of help. So I'm willing to lay up to nine with Jacksonville State. Set this out at 135. You got a Jacksonville State team that they look to play relatively slowly. And Elon, they're not a blazer either. And with Elon, just not a lot of guys are able to create on offense. So looking at this little under, and I am looking to lay it with Jacksonville State. 306-563, 306-564. UNC Greensboro is going to be playing us to UMBC. UMBC, an underdog of 14 to 14 and a half points. Your total is between 136 and 136 and a half. And when it comes to this Greensboro team, I did set them as a favorite of 12 points. So I'm going to be willing to take those points with UMBC. Been rather impressed with what they've been able to do in terms of their backcourt. Front court leaving a whole lot of something to be desired, though. So that is going to be a tad bit of an issue for them. But with UNC Greensboro, it's not like this team has ever been able to bring in a bunch of big men that just hit the glass. You do have Mohamed Abdul Salam, who two seasons ago was able to give the team seven rebounds per game. And ironically enough, Keandre Kennedy, who was playing over at UMBC, I believe, last season, he's been able to come in. He's given the team 12.5 points, nine boards per game. As a six foot six combo player, he's able to bury some threes. I think that he's going to see a little bit of shrinkage in terms of that rebounding. And then you do have in the backcourt someone in Keyshawn Langley, who I like him being able to produce in that backcourt. He last season at eight and a half points on 33% three point shooting this season. He's been able to up that to 10.5 points per game, but UNC Greensboro is not going to go out there and score a bunch of points. They've been able to do a better job of not turning the ball over, but this is a suspect three point shooting team at 31%, and you really don't have a ton of rebounding. Ben Lighty. He's been able to do a solid job with Mr. Lighty. He's been able to give the team 9.5 points, 6 boards per contest the last two seasons, but when it comes to just having that guy that's able to take hold of this offense, you don't have that for UMBC. I feel like you're able to get some good sparks out of this young kid in Colton Lawrence. He comes in after he's lit it up at the non-D1 level last season, and he's done a great job with 14.5 points, 3.5 boards, shooting 36.5% from three-point range. Jacob Bunyesef, he's been with the program for a little bit. He's been able to get the team 11 points, 2.5 assists per game. I believe he began his career at American End. For UMBC, they've always been a solid free-throw shooting team. They're shooting 81.5% at the charity stripe, and Craig Bodion, after he dealt with a little bit of ailment just all of last season, and it's lingered a little bit into this season, now they've been able to get him out there fully on the floor. Seven assists and three turnovers in the team's last two games, and the offense is flowing better. As a result, they've been able to win each other last two games after the first two games against the one opponents. Not so great. Travion Fagan is able to give you six rebounds per game. UMBC with having Bodion in the backcourt, and they themselves only turning the ball over nine and a half times per game. I think that they're going to be able to hold in this one. UNC Greensboro looks to play a slow, methodical, grimy style. Neither of these teams necessarily have terrific three-point shooting unlike last season for UMBC, but I think that UMBC keeps it within arm's length because you do have Bodion back at 100%. I'm going to take 14 with UMBC. Semi-total 131. I think Greensboro gets their methodical style, so also taking a look at this total under. 306, 665, 306, 666. You've got Fordham, and they're going to be taking on Sono. Sono is an underdog of 13.5 points. Tron's game is 149.5. This is way too high of a total. I recognize that Sonel has been a little bit of a blazer on offense, and they've been able to do a solid job of knocking down some threes. But also keep in mind that I believe that this is game number three in three days for both of these teams, and Fordham is not a team that has ever pushed the tempo, like literally ever. So this is a spot where I set the total at a 137.5. 
I do think that the likes might be starting to go on Stonehill a little bit. For Stonehill, a very solid team in terms of just being able to give you some production. Max Zigorowski, six foot eight combo player. He's been able to sink nearly 40% of his threes. He was able to give the team nine rebounds in the game yesterday. And gotta love the versatility that you got with Andrew Sims. Not a guy that's going to go out there and bury a ton of threes, but he's able to pop a few threes, 17 points. Been able to pull in there about four and a half to five rebounds per game as well. This is also a team that they go about eight or so deep, so it's not like they've got guys that are out there for 40 minutes or anything like that, but need a little bit more facilitation outside of Isaiah Burnett. 17 points, four boards, a few assists per game. This is a Sono bunch that they really don't have anyone giving you more than about three or so assists per game. And then when it comes to Fordham, they do a nice job down low as you've got so many guys that they just do a nice job of hitting the glass like an Abdu Siambalia. He's been able to give you about seven rebounds per game, but they just do it by committee as you've got a pair of guys in Antrell Charlton and Khalid Moore that have been able to combine for about nine rebounds, 25 points per game. Both of these guys Entered into yesterday shooting about 39.5% from three-point range, and that's really what they're shooting as a team. And Darius Quinsenberry, now he'll play a little bit more off the ball with Charlton, giving you four assists per game. Quinsenberry, 18 points entering into the game yesterday. Fordham, they played a bit of a rock fight against Holy Cross, being able to get that done by kind of 67 to 53. I did think that the tired legs had a little bit of an effect there as they went just 8 of 23 from three-point range, but Quinsenberry very nearly had a triple-double in that game. And you do have something down low in Radislav. Nivkovsky, as he's been able to come in, give the team about five rebounds per game. Kid from overseas has been able to do a nice job shoring things up down low for this Fordham team. I do think that Fordham should be able to get this win, but I do think that Fordham going to start to see a little bit of regression in terms of their three-point shooting percentage, and it's a Sonal team that they've got a lot of good versatility. They do a nice job of just being able to guard the ball in general. They're not necessarily going to generate a bunch of steals, and I do think that both of these teams with just having this be game number three in three days, they are going to be a little bit, shall we say, gas. So it's a spot in which I did set my total at a 137F. I'm diving under. And if I'm getting any sort of double figures, willing to take the points with Stone Hill as I set them as a 9.5 point underdog. So looking at the 13.5 with Stone Hill to go along with this total under. 306, 567, 306, 568. You've got Towson and they're going to be playing us to compensate. Cobbins State is an underdog of between 14.5 and 15.5 and points. Your total on this game is anywhere between 141.5 and 142.5. And with Cobbins State, I did set them as an underdog of 13.5 points. I'm going to be willing to take it with Towson. I still think that they're the class of the Colonial, even with what we've been able to see out of Charleston to begin the season. But what I do like about this Cobbins State team is that you've got Sam Sessions. And Sessions, well, class has been in Sessions, as he's been able to give the team 20-plus points per contest. Last season, buried over 40% of his series while out in the Big Ten, and now he has been able to enter into this program, and he has went into straight flamethrower mode, 22.5 points, 4.5 rebounds, 5.8 assists, a little bit over two steals per contest. That has been absolutely tremendous. Now, Nenda Tark, he needs to be a little bit better in terms of his offensive efficiency, shooting only about 29% from three over the last few seasons, but he led all of college basketball in terms of steals last season, 12 points, 5.5 boards, 2.5 assists, 2 steals, and a partridge in a pear tree for him, and they're going up against a Towson bunch at they got Nicholas Timberlake bringing Sexy back as he's been able to shoot from three-point range, 42%, 21 points per contest. Down low, you've got Charles Thompson, who's able to give you six points per contest, and then Cameron Holden, the Matrix himself, 12.5 points, right around seven boards, three assists. He's able to give you a steal and a half and a block per game. He just does it all for the team, but it is a team that is not necessarily too deep. Nigel Russell comes in off the bench. He's able to give you five points per game, but I think the compensate is going to be a hold-up. Townsend, a team that does a tremendous job with their defense. Not necessarily an up-tempo team, but efficient on offense. Compensate, they're looking to gun it. They have been in the top 15 in terms of 
possessions per game each out of the last two seasons. And I do think that Coppin State is going to be kicking it up tempo. Coppin State's defense leaves a little bit of something to be desired, but I like the way they're performing in offense at my total at 147.5. So I'm going to be taking a look at this little over. And when it comes to Coppin State, willing to take 14 or more with them. So looking at the points to go along with the over 306, 569, 306570. UT San Antonio, meet me for the Roadrunner. It says they play us to Prairie View. Prairie View is an underdog of two points. Your total on this game is anywhere between 138.5 and 139.5. I said Prairie View as a favorite. I'm going to be willing to take them on the money line with Prairie View. A bunch that does a great job of being able to generate turnovers. They've actually been playing a little bit more slowly this season. I do think that they might be kicking up that tempo a little bit, but for Prairie View, unlike past seasons, they now have a go-to score. That'd be Will Douglas. He's been able to register 19.8 points, 5.5 boards, 3.5 assists, 2.5 steals per game. He just does it all. As he actually began his career at SMU. Down low, you've got Yuhuza Razas, who's been able to give the team 6.5 rebounds per game, began his career at Texas Southern. And I still remember as a freshman at Texas Southern, he was able to pull in their 8 rebounds per game, and then he fell out of favor. No idea why. UT San Antonio really doesn't have a lot down low other than Jacob Germany, and Germany has had to turn into a do-it-all player at 6'11", 12.5 points, 4 boards. He's starting to attempt some threes, and his career 3-point shooting percentage is below 10%. And I'm not even kidding when I say that. So, not terrific there. UT San Antonio's collective shooting sub-65% at the free throw line, sub-29% from 3-point range, turning the ball over 17 times per game. They just have nobody that's able to bring up the ball at this point, as they've been really relying upon Japat Meter to bring up the ball, as Someone that comes in from the non-D1 level, right around 9 points, 4 boards, 3.8 assists, but also 3.8 turnovers per game. Just a sloppy, sloppy UT San Antonio team that, boy, oh boy, could they use the likes of Keaton Wallace to company back in the fold. Because back then, in a great backcourt at UT San Antonio, it's always been a relatively good cover team at home. But that's back in the Keaton Wallace days. Now you're staring at having Mr. Meter out there in the backcourt. And it's just not the same for this team. I do take a look at this spot, and I do think that you just have a better team on Prairie View. Prairie View does a good job of generating seals. UT San Antonio can't hold it onto the ball to save their lives. Bad matchup here for the Roadrunner. Semi-total 137 half. You've seen Prairie View playing a little bit slower, and UT San Antonio is just disgustingly bad on offense. So I'm looking at the under. With Prairie View, I feel like they should be the favorite, so taking a look at them as a money line underdog. 306-571-306-572. Maryland Eastern Shore is going to be playing us a Maris. Maris is an underdog of between 1.5 to 2 points. Your total on this game is 132.5, and when it comes to the Shore, I did set them as a five-point favorite with Maris. You just don't have a lot of three-point shooting in terms of this team. They've lost quite a bit, like a Raheem Sullivan from last season, so they're a bit of a team in transition. And then when it comes to Maryland Eastern Shore, they bring back pretty much seven out of their top eight scores from last season. Now, it's not like you've got Supreme scoring with anyone. They didn't have anyone score really more than 11.5 points per game last season, but you do have someone in Nathaniel Pollard who's able to give you 7.5 rebounds per game. Patrick Gardner has come up from the non-D1 level, was playing out there in the northeast part of the country, and I believe Division II basketball last season and put up big numbers. He has been terrific. 16 points, 8 boards. The up transfer has been absolutely amazing for this team. Ameris has been able to find a little bit of gold on that front, but other than Cam Ferris, who last season, when he was at Robert Moore, shot 40% for 3, you really don't have great shooters. He's only shooting 27% this season. To my surprise, you've got over 50% three-point shooting out of Anthony Cooper. He's come up from Caldwell College and I mean, thus far, he's been able to do a solid job. I do think that there's going to be a bit of a fall-off there, but for Maris, they're also shooting 64% at the free throw line. They've been able to generate right around 8.5 steals per game, and we've got good depth. The problem is, other guys are not necessarily too terrific. You're able to say a little bit of the same for Maryland Eastern Shore, but for the Shore, they do such a good job of generating steals. Each other top five scores give you at least one steal per contest. Zion Stiles, along with 
Dom Phillip have been able to combine for 24 points per contest. Neither of these guys necessarily great three-point shooters, but you add him from last season, Amadou Fafana, who last season was at Canisius, was a starter for them with nine and a half points, three assists per contest, and he's been able to give this offense a little bit more flow. Maryland needs for sure. Has finally been able to look a little bit better on offense. They still maintain that defensive approach. They're still a team that they're really looking to build themselves up in terms of the defensive side of things. So as a result, I did set a low total. I made by total 130. So here at a 132.5, I'm diving under with Maryland needs for sure. I think they're going to Stifle Ameris team that really doesn't have that one guy running the show for them, and that's going to cause for a lot of turnovers. So, looking at this subtle under, and I'm going to lay the small number here with the Shore 306 573, 306 574. Pittsburgh is going to be playing us fairly Dickinson. Fairly Dickinson hopes to be fairly priced as a 14.5 to a 15.5 point underdog. Total on this game, you're getting it at a 148.5 to a 149.5, and with Pittsburgh, I can only set them as a 10.5 point favorite. I'm going to be taking a look at the points. When it comes to this fairly Dickinson team, they bring in Tobin Anderson, who is coaching at the D2 level for St. Thomas of Aquinas, and he's done an absolutely amazing job of being able to have this team very competitive early. They took Loyal Chicago to overtime now. Loyal Chicago has their issues, but... That said, for a team like Fairleigh Dickinson, that's a pretty fairly big deal for them. And with Pittsburgh, John Hughley was able to come in off the bench against Alabama State, someone who last season was able to give the team 7.5 rebounds per game. That is big for them, but I take a look at this Pittsburgh team and the offense, once again, not too terrific. You've got one nice spot-up shooter that I like in Greg Elliott. Nine points per game thus far this season, shooting 32% from three the last season on Marquette. Shot closer to 40% from three, but I mean, the 27.5% three-point chain that we're seeing for Pittsburgh, I think that that number is here to stay. They're turning the ball over 15 times per game. Jamarius Burton has been able to give you 13.5 points, 6 boards, and 4 assists, but also 4.3 turnovers per game. Nelly Cummings, who comes up from the Patriot, like, I never really loved his game. He's been averaging 4 assists per game, but 3 turnovers per contest. Has not been able to sink their threes. You've got the Diaz Graham brothers, who are seeing some minutes now as well. Blake Henson, 17 points, 6 boards, but you take a look at this fairly Dickinson team, and Dimitri Roberts, who pretty much followed his coach up from St. Thomas of Aquinas, he's looked amazing. 19 points, 5 assists per game, and you've got quite a few D2 guys that are on this fairly Dickinson team, and they have been firing all cylinders. They've been given an opportunity, and they're taking it and running with it. You've got Hero Blaisen, who was down at the non-D1 level for a little bit. He's resurfaced for 15 points per contest after he was actually a halfway decent player at Longwood a few seasons ago. Fairly Dickinson overall, they have been fairly good at being able to knock down the three at 34 and a half they shoot 75% at the free throw line. They play fast, but they don't turn the ball over. Pittsburgh, they play a little bit more slowly. And I do think that size of Pittsburgh, because you don't necessarily have a lot of low post presence when it comes to this fairly Dickinson team. Sean Moore at 6'4 is really their main rebounder. That is going to stifle fairly Dickinson a little bit. But I do think that fairly Dickinson holds in this game because for what fairly Dickinson doesn't do down low, they do in the backcourt. Set Pittsburgh as a 10.5 point favorite. So wanted to take the points. I do think that Pittsburgh gets a little bit of a slower, grimier style. So I'm going to be taking a look at the under my total more around at 142.5. 306575, 306576. Lafayette is going to be playing us a pen. The Quakers a pen are finding themselves as three point favorites. And your total is any between 133.5 and 134.5. With Penn, I made them five and a half point favorites. With Lafayette, they did lose quite a bit from last season. So that does lead to a little bit of an issue. And didn't really like what I saw from them over the weekend. They've had to log quite a few games here in the past seven days. And Penn, they have not really had to take place in those multi team events. Jordan Dingle is someone that I do like for this Penn team as well as you do want to be noting his status. He did miss a game last week. Looks like he should be good to go, but that would be big if he couldn't because he's been able to register 20 points
transfer contest, so be sure to take a look at him. And Penn, while he was out of the fold in that game against West Virginia, well, they just looked all sorts of broken on offense as Clark Slager has had to step up, and he's been able to do a solid job this season. 16 points, 4 boards, shooting 39% from 3-point range, but I think he's even bigger than that. What you're going to be able to get down low as you had Max Locera Lloyd really have a few good games down low. First two games, he had 21 rebounds, 4 blocks, Ever since then, he combined 12 points and 9 rebounds in the last three games. I don't know why they've won away from him, but they have. And then on the flip side, for this Lafayette bunch, you just don't know what you're going to be able to get out of their backward. As Kyle Jenkins, a little bit of a 6'7 do-it-all player, has been solved for them. 13.5 points, 6 boards, draining 44% of his threes. I think that we're going to see a little bit of regression there, but it's been C.J. Fulton with his 12 points per game, shooting 40% for three. That has really been saving this team. you got Justin Vanderbond down low. He's a 7-footer, but a lazy 7-footer. He's averaging 1 rebound per game. You need a little bit more there, and it's just a little bit of a top-heavy team. You need to get something out of someone like Ryan Zambi, who's been a little bit banged up, was able to return to the full, but he's getting like 15 minutes per game, and he's averaging a half a point per game. You've had TJ Berger come in from San Diego. He's been able to supply 35.5% three-point shooting percentage, but doesn't really do anything other than pop threes. For Lafayette, they're a very one-dimensional team, and for Penn, you just have better athletes in general on their side, and you do have a team that's able to shoot it quite well, so I did set my total at a 142.5. I'm going to be willing to take the over, and that's even with Jordan Dingle out of the fold, and with Dingle in the fold, I've got Penn as a five and a half point favorite. If he's out, I'd probably set this a closer to like a two to a two and a half. I do think that he's worth between three and three and a half points to the line, so I do want to note that. But with that said, wonder as of right now, lay it with Penn and take a look at this total over three at six five seventy seven three at six five seventy eight. UTEP is going to be playing against Alcorn State. Home game for UTEP is at the Don Haskins Center as UTEP is between a seven and seven and a half point favorite. Total on this game is one thirty one and a half. And with UTEP, I set them at a seven and a half. So the seven that I'm seeing on them, that is the max I'm willing to lay, but I am going to be willing to lay it. Alcorn State, one of those classic teams in which a hole is greater than some of its parts. They are not looking to have one guy go out there and drop 30 on you on any given night, but you've got seven guys that they're able to give you 10 on any given night. Keandre Montgomery along with Dominic Bruton are combining for about 25.5 points per contest, 12 boards. They do a nice job of being able to generate some turnovers as they're getting as a collective nearly 10 steals per game. Big reason why the over two steals per contest of Byron Joshua. Joshua last season as a starter had seven points per contest. Not a great three-point shooter, but a very good on-ball defender. Now, you don't necessarily have a supreme rebounder for this team. Well, I mentioned that Montgomery and Bruton, they're your top rebounders, but been able to get about four and a half rebounds out of Jeremiah Kendall. Six foot six, a little bit of a bulkier player that comes in for Prairie View, so that should be able to help them out on the post. And then for UTEP, I like what you're able to get out of Otis Frazier III. Began his career at George Mason, fell a little bit out of favor, and now he's coming to this program. He's been able to have some very nice performances. A career about 35% three-point shooter. He's able to add a little bit of pop. This is a UTEP team that they themselves are looking to really hang their hat on being able to generate a lot of seals, much like Alcorn State does. They're only shooting about 24% from three UTEP is, but maybe able to do a good job being able to generate a little bit over 11 steals per game. You don't necessarily have one guy that is tremendous down low, but Zurich Oyama, he's been able to come in as a six foot eight, do a little bit of everything sort of guy, 11 points, 5.3 rebounds, has been doing a good job in terms of just getting into passing lanes. Jamar Sibley, who began his career at Georgetown, right around eight points, five boards, not a great three-point shooter, but Tayardi, he's able to do off the ball, he's given out a few assists, he's able to pop a few threes, so I do like overall the backcourt of UTEP, especially with someone like a Shamark Givens, who comes in from Evansville after he was a double-figure scorer. Calvin Solomon was able to put up nine points per game. Why is that Stephen F. Austin? So he's used to that pressure style. I do think that you're going to see more turnovers in this game than you would see 
at Sarah Lee's Bakery, I did set my total at 131.5. So right at the current number right now, I saw it a little bit earlier, more on a 132 to a 132.5. If we get back to that 132, I'm looking at the under. If this continues to drop to say 131, 130, we'll be looking at the over. But with UTEP pulling delay up to 7 7.5, 3.06, 5.70, 9.30, 6.580, you've got Arizona State playing host to Grambling. Grambling, anywhere between a 20 and a half and a 21 point underdog. Dallas game is anywhere between 137 and a half and 138 and a half. And with Grambling, set them as an 18 point underdog. Arizona State, a very nice win against Michigan State, but currently dealing with an injury to Marcus Bagley, who just seems to always be hurt. Very, very unfortunate for him, but that does dock Arizona State a little bit. Now they've got DJ Turnit up horn, a guy that has been able to give the team double figures over the last few seasons. They saw it three point shooter with Arizona State as well. They've done a nice job bringing in. Frankie Collins. He's been able to give the team 15 plus points per contest, but sometimes he, they just have him do a little bit too much, and as a result of having the ball in his hands a little bit too much, he does get a little bit out of control. Arizona State has been plagued by turnovers, and when it comes to grambling, they've already got a win on their resume against APAC 12 school, as they were able to get that nice win against Colorado to begin the season, so that is very impactful for them. Grambling, not a team that's going to be going out there, and it's necessarily going to be in my opinion, that burner team that is going to be able to win the conference or anything like that. But for Grambling, you do have some nice cogs that are able to contribute, like a Keatare Gordon, who's been able to give you 15 and a half points, seven rebounds per game, good versatility. Warren Washington, the seven-footer, probably going to be able to eat his lunch, but you do have someone that's been in with the program for quite a while, and Shadarius Cowart in the backcourt, 12 points, four boards, four assists in the game that they played against Colorado. He had 19 points, six assists. He stepped up in a big way. Grambling, a team that has a collective last season, shot in the low 30s from three-point range. They're back there this season, but being able to have Gordon be able to give you a little bit more down low, and having Cam Grishin, a double-figure scorer from a few seasons ago, still giving you nine points per contest. You've been able to get a bit of production out of Rashawn Khan, who at Long Island a few seasons ago was able to pump in their 9.5 points per contest. Career 35% three-point shooter. Should be able to keep grambling in this game. Arizona State has really been looking to hang their head on defense the last few seasons. They've been playing a little bit more slowly, especially with injuries. So somebody told 135 looking under and willing to take the big amount of points with grambling. Last two are games that do not have numbers as they're taking place in Florida. 306 Bucknell, they're going to be playing against Awesome P. I did set Awesome P as a two and a half point favorite and I made my total a 133. Got an awesome P team that has been the best under team in all of college basketball the last two seasons and Elijah Stones Everett has been able to do a very solid job down low as he's been able to give this team right in the neighborhood about seven rebounds per contest since coming in as a true freshman last season. Meanwhile for the bracket Boston Bucknell Bison. Last few seasons they've been a very up-tempo team but Coach Nathan Davis has decided that he's going to throttle things down a little bit, but with this Bucknell team, they still are able to shoot their threes. Xander Rice has been able to give the team 15-plus points per contest. He's been able to shoot over the last two seasons right around 40% for three. Bucknell as a collective last season was in the top 30 in terms of three-point shooting percentage, but Andre 3000 screen along with Alex Timmerman, they're combining for a little bit over 10 rebounds per contest. They should be able to do a good job of matching up down low. For Bucknell, though, they might have a little bit of time Tough time in the backcourt as you do have an awesome P team that has done a nice job of being able to revamp as Sean Duru Gordon, who comes in from Missouri after being a top 250 recruit. He's been able to give the team a little bit of flow, nearly 10 points per contest, few rebounds. Carlos Paez, he's got an assist to turnover ratio for his career, right around two and a half. And then Sean Robinson, in my opinion, is a big X factor. Six foot nine combo player that comes in from San Jose State. He's able to shoot 40% from three point range, has been able to give the team 15 points per contest. Remains to be seen if he's going to play in this game or not. Missed the game against Albany. That is as of right now taken into account that he's out of the fold would probably be one to set Austin P as a little bit more of a favorite but you have to be able to take his place someone in 
Caleb Stone Carowell, who was able to pump in there 17 points in that game against Albany last season, 33% for three, 11.5 points per contest. He was missing a little bit earlier in the season, so getting him back, I think, is very big. So, did set Austin P as a two and a half point favorite and made my total 133, so 132.5 or less, looking over 133.5 or higher to the under end with Austin P. Want to lay up to two with them, three or more, taking the points with the Bison and 306.583, 306.584 last game on the board, Presbyterian and Albany out there in Florida. I did set Presbyterian as a two and a half point underdog with Albany. They're dealing with a lot with Wayne Killings, dealing with some things, their coach off the court in terms of like a player abuse sort of case. That's not necessarily too terrific, but what's not terrific is this Presbyterian team as a whole. As you've got Crosby James, a freshman, who's been able to give the team about 13 points per contest, but Presbyterian as a whole, they're shooting sub 32% from three-point range. They really can't find anyone to be able to give this team rebounds as Owen McCormick at six foot nine. He's been looking to pop threes, not going well from Terrell Art. He's been able to give the team right around five and a half rebounds per game. He doesn't have ideal size for this Presbyterian team. Presbyterian has been turning the ball over 14 times per game despite the fact that they really don't play up tempo and for Albany they are able to generate a few steals so a little bit of credit there. Albany seems to be a little bit of a broken bunch themselves. They don't necessarily have a ton down low but they should have the best rebounder in this game as they've been able to get right around 10 points. 7 rebounds per contest out of Jonathan Beagle. 6'9 true freshman. He's got a nice body for the team and they've been able to get some good production in the backcourt out of Geraldo Drum Google Jr. He's been able to do a nice job with right around 13 points per contest chipping in their 2.5 assists per game with Albany. They've had a little bit of a tough time of just being able to dole out the ball in general but going up against a Presbyterian team that has a tough time of being able to generate turnovers a Presbyterian team that has really been not doing a great job of being able to guard the three-point arc in general even without Justin Neely in the fold I do think that Albany should be able to get the job done in a game that I think is going to be defense-oriented both of these teams play at a relatively slow tempo so semi-total at a 128.5 128 or less looking over 129 or higher to the under with Albany. One to lay up to do with them, set them as 2.5 point favorites so at 3 or more, going to take the points with the Blue O's, and that will wrap things up. For the Tuesday edition of Coast to Coast Hoops, I'm part of the Beeson family of podcasts. Big thanks to Rocco Miller, the bracketeer himself, for joining me in the last segment. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind, Lurzium, they mean does not matter, so as per usual, please just send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You are able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five-star review. I'll be coming at you guys every single day on this podcast. I need some coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.